This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody, and top of the morning to you. Hope you're having a great day so far. Happy Tuesday. And uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Happy Cow Appreciation Day. This is the day where... Thank you. <laughs> We've, uh, we brought a cow to work day. It's just walking around the studio today. Today's the day you appreciate every cow in your life. Those cute little Chick-fil-A uh, ads where you, you know, eat more chicken, save a cow kind of thing. Today, uh, go hug a cow. If you got one, hug one. If you don't have one, make sure you ask the farmer and then go out and hug it. Just uh, to be courteous. I might eat one today. Mm. I very much appreciate cows. Are you? Yeah, I've never, I've never loved an animal more than a cow. That's probably true. Medium, medium rare. Yeah. Mm. That sounds bad. <laughs> that sounds very bad. Cows are they're more than just meat. Yeah, they're cow, also leather. Cows are, cows are people too. <laughs> Actually, they're not. But. Uh, they're they're great, and thank heavens for them, right? So celebrating cow appreciation today, uh, we've got a lot of other things we'll be talking about, including how much power can one image wield? Hmm. For example, do you remember um, that picture, that image? Well, just the image of uh, United Airlines pulling somebody off of an airplane. Of course. That's a pretty vivid image. Uh, the, the girl um, during the Vietnam War... With napalm burns right. and yeah, uh, or Tiananmen Square, the the person walking toward the tank. So today Trump's we're... Trump's tweet with a taco salad in front of him. Yeah, I'll never forget that. That was <laughs> that was your favorite of all Trump's tweets. That's the most memorable one <laughs> for you. That's um, we're going to be talking about the power of images, and we live in a day and age where an image can spread. Uh, virally, and we'll be talking about what makes it so powerful. Is it as powerful as it used to be? Is it more powerful because of today's day and age? So much, uh, so much is going on with social media that uh, there is power in images, but there's actually more to it too, right? So if you want to create a movement, you might need more than an image. So we'll get into all of that with a wonderful guest uh, in just a few minutes. Plus, of course, empty news throughout the day, uh, the latest and greatest information that you need to know, some of which you didn't even know you needed to know, but it might be good to know. Our goal is to help you get all the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. And that, uh, I promise, we will do throughout the day. Three hours of the show, if you didn't know. Just stick with us. Every hour, different topics. And, uh, you know, maybe a few surprises as well. Uh, But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The FBI is investigating the Monday crash of a U.S. Marine Corps plane in Mississippi that killed at least 16 people and is believed to have had a structural failure at 20,000 feet. The KC-130 refueling tanker had departed from Memphis before crashing near a highway in rural LaFleur County, Mississippi. At around 4 p.m., the Marine Corps confirmed only that a mishap occurred and has yet to release any further details, including its destination and if any civilians were on board. Witness Andy Jones told a local Fox News affiliate that he saw the plane corkscrew out of the sky with one engine burning, before it crashed into soybean fields near the town. Firefighters struggled to carry out rescue and recovery 
efforts due to several high-intensity explosions. They were believed to be ammunition on the plane that was exploding. Oh, boy. Unidentified investigators were also cited in local media saying the scale of the debris suggests a possible mid-air explosion, though that theory has not been confirmed. Hmm. Kind of a crazy story. Federal authorities plan to end over a decade of searching for a new FBI headquarters, the Washington Post reports. For years, the FBI officials have warned that their current headquarters in the J. Edgar Hoover building were crumbling and posed a potential security threat. Officials hope to sell the property to a private real estate developer. Trump. And put $2 billion towards a new FBI facility in the D.C. suburbs. But officials from the General Services Administration, which oversee federal property, plan to cancel the search. On t- uh, they said on a phone call Tuesday, the FBI is expected to remain in its current headquarters. Well, what, so they're building, they say it's falling apart, but you're, eh, we're going to stay there. You're fine. Hey, 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 it's a building. Where are you going to build it? I mean, it's centrally located. It's in downtown D.C. But and then, but a two billion dollar property is what they want. And but wasn't the Apple the new Apple building was like one billion dollars or something? Wasn't it? something like that? And everyone was real estate prices are different in California. Yeah, sure. It's a lot. The Seattle City Council voted unanimously on Monday to impose a a 2.25% income tax on the city's wealthiest residents. Individuals making more than $250,000 and married couples filing jointly uh, with returns over $500,000 would be taxed with the city estimating the tax would bring in $140 million a year, which could be used to pay for transit to lower property tax and uh, to lower property taxes overall yeah, across yeah. the city. Council member Lisa Herbold, co-sponsor of the measure, said the middle class is being squeezed as well, and one of the reasons is our outdated, regressive, and unfair tax structure. Seattle Mayor Ed Murray said the city is ready for a legal challenge, and we welcome that fight, adding that if the city prevails, it won't just be Seattle that is doing progressive income tax. This could spread because they're oh, looking, my heavens, you're, yeah. look, you're looking for revenue. Yeah. So let's tax them. If they win a court case, then we can win it too. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to make money. Yeah. Scary. We'll okay. Uh, Jim Causey escaped from a South Carolina prison this week, but his methods this time around were far more high tech than they were a dozen years ago when he broke free from another maximum security prison. Uh, in uh, it doesn't say which state he broke out of there. The authorities in South Carolina say they believe Mr. Kazi, who was captured on Friday, so this was last week, in Texas after fleeing from prison on Tuesday night, had used at least one cell phone and a drone to make his escape. When he was incarcerated, we believe a drone was used to fly in the tools that allowed him to escape, like wire cutters and yeah, things like that. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, let's see. They said that uh, Mr. Kazi was serving a life sentence for kidnapping a lawyer. A tip early Friday led the authorities to a Motel 6 in Austin, Texas, where Mr. Kazi, 46, was staying. Um, let's see. The authorities in South Carolina notified the Texas Rangers, who visited the room around 4 a.m. He said there they found Mr. Kazi sleeping. He did not resist their efforts to take him in. He had a semi-automatic pistol, oh, a wow. pump shotgun, extra ammunition, four cell phones, and $47,000 in cash. What? Where yeah. did he get the money? Doesn't say. It says authorities did not identify the source of the cash. What? So he had a couple guns, some guns, uh, ammo, four cell phones, and $47,000 in cash. Unbelievable. What yeah. a, that, there's going to be a movie on that but one. But he got out of jail with a drone, apparently, that dropped well, tools in the yard, and he was able to get I out of I thought we were watching for drones now. Apparently not. Not in South Carolina. Well, I mean, I think it's one thing to get the tools, right? Uh-huh. Then it's another thing to get out. Right. Like, 
they could give me all the tools. They could they could you know deliver an entire Ace Hardware store for me in prison, and <laughs> I still probably car. couldn't yeah. get out. And then somehow from Tuesday to Friday, he was able to get forty seven thousand dollars. Well, you know that's just the lottery. Is that what it is? Yeah, okay. he right when he got out, he played the lottery. And he won. Unbelievable. So the odds were in his favor. What a story. Wow. Wow. Man, so much to talk about. Did you um, did you see Donald Trump uh, put the hat back on the Marine as it blew away? I did not. You missed that? Yeah. Well, watching the news sometimes. Yeah, you might want to go back and see that one. Very windy. He was boarding Air Force. Well, he was boarding the helicopter. Whatever so it's we call Marine it. one. Marine one. And the wind was blowing and blew the Marine's hat right off his head. Mm-hmm. And President Trump went and chased it down. Really? Picked it up, brushed it off. Oh, nice. Walked back to the Marine, put it right on his head. Because the Marine's standing at yeah, attention. Yeah, the Marine didn't budge. Right. Then the President puts the hat back on his head. It kind of like pats his shoulders and then the hat blows off again. <laughs> Whoops. And then he starts to go get it. And uh, the, the Air Force colonel that's there that follows him around. Uh, went and got it, I guess. We and got it, sir. Put him on the air. That's gold. It's pretty cool. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. Yeah. Nothing like seeing the president chase a hat. Huh. I'll have to go find that. It was really, it was really actually pretty cool, but it also shows you that the president still doesn't know probably the protocol. Probably should have just got on the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Or and just like patted the soldier. Sorry, you lost your hat. And it's, yeah. But. You know, but I mean, I mean slipped him a twenty. The human reaction is yeah. walk over, pick up. The well, hat. Right, and you don't yeah, know so what to fine. do. I mean, he probably you know he could have been worse. He could have pulled the hat down really far, like over his ears, <laughs> to keep it on. Right. Anyway, it was pretty cool. Uh, Trump, by the way, I don't know if you've heard this. Back in the news, yes, uh, Russia. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Russia's back. Just every week, something pops up. Now his son apparently called. You know, went to a meeting. To received emails, received went to a email, meeting. Yeah. yeah, and and now it's really and he took Kushner and Bannon and Bannon, <laughs> they're all in there because they thought they were going to get dirt on Hillary. Yes, this what? was this was a previously undisclosed in the, yeah. the the forms you fill out for your security clearance. Yeah. You have to disclose all meetings of foreign yeah, people. You, you can't say I was going to meet with these lawyers who is, were going to right. hand me all this dirt on Hillary Clinton. Right. Can't put what, where do you where do you put that down? That's embarrassing. Did you get the connection of like who this lawyer was? No, that he met with. No. So the lawyer that Don Jr. met with represents a pop star that Donald Trump appeared a, a Russian pop oh. star that Donald Trump appeared in his music video. Oh, right. But it wasn't it didn't have something to do with the the pop star's father is a billionaire in Russia. Mm. Now, we know billionaires in Russia are allowed to be billionaires by yeah. Putin. So mm-hmm. there's like your Putin connection. That billionaire is the guy that, that set up the deal that got the Miss Universe pageant in ah, Russia. Yeah, there so you go. Here's how everyone knows yeah. each other. Yeah, right? Yeah. So they, it wasn't like – so that's how they got this lawyer got the meeting is because she knows people that they know. And, and then they apparently were they to, weren't getting any real dirt. And then they because brought they started, up some other issue. They were talking about this adoption thing that happened yeah. a couple of years ago where Russia just cut off all adoptions No adoptions out of Russia. And so when they found out that it wasn't going to be about dirt on Hillary Clinton, they just ended the meeting and left. They're, they were all like frustrated. But now the reports are saying the initial email told them that they were going to get dirt from you know Russian sources on Hillary Clinton. So they kind of knew what they were getting into. It wasn't like they just surprised them with content. Once again, no sign of any connection to Russia. <clears throat> just, the, just the media. This is the fifth people or fifth person in the uh, 
or the Trump administration since yeah. inauguration. You know said, what? Oh, by the way, call me when wrong. there's call, <laughs> call me when there's seven people. Is it seven? Is that that uh, seven's? I think far? the lucky number for the Democrats. And honestly, I don't believe any of this has to do with trying to get you know collusion yeah. or something. Right, right. I think Russia may have been trying. I think oh, they were definitely trying. But I, I think you ended up with people who are not politically savvy stumbling into meetings yeah. thinking like, well, I'm going to take a meeting. That's what you do when you're in politics. Right. So you take a meeting and you're like, uh-oh, and you back up, but then they don't disclose it. Yeah. And then you lie by saying, oh, we've never had any contact, and it just looks bad. Yeah. But then you keep lying to cover it up instead of just trying to get everything out in the open. That's the thing. And it looks bad. Now, but weren't they successful in getting some dirt on Hillary? Well, they, I mean, they did come up with this. <coughs> oh, yeah. Excuse oh. me. That's actually more of a virus, I think, <coughs> than dirt. It's pretty bad. <coughs> She's still got that cough, I hear. Not productive, as you say. Not productive at all. Um, not productive. That's anyway. gold. That's gold. <laughs> There's gold in them there, heels. There's always money in the banana stand, as Grandma used to say. Um, we've uh, also – I don't know if you guys saw it because I sure didn't, but uh, somebody talked to me about the Home Run Derby. <gasps> I watched the whole thing. Did you really? What a great sport where they just throw you like soft pitches and then you're supposed to crank them out of the park. And then the 6'7", 280 guy just crushes it because – Who won know. though? Who was the official winner? Aaron Judge. Now – he, he had oh, okay. a tough – he a was in a tough spot because the guy that came up before him crushed 22 home runs. Yeah. So the pressure was really on. That's a lot of home but runs. But he did it handily. Handily won. He got 23. Effortless. And almost. then he just smoked everybody else that came after him. Did he really? Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, he's not even wearing a helmet in the home run derby. Well, none of them are. None of them are. I mean, well, you... It's all about seeing your face. You don't want to cover it up. That's right. And uh, what was his name? The guy that he beat, who hit 22 home runs Se- from the Marlins. It's like Seo or uh, Boar. Boar. Yeah. So it, Boar gets 30 extra Justin seconds because if you hit over, if you hit two 440-foot home runs, huh. you get an extra 30 seconds. Holy so he cow. took that 30-second break. Uh, Stanton came over, who had lost in the first round, who was last year's champion, came over with a donut and shoved it in his mouth and so he chomped down on a donut during his break but uh didn't work donut breaks boy see i th- i used to think all baseball players had was chewing gum and and tobacco oh and sunflower seeds now they have donuts i saw like the last four home runs from judge and he just looked like he was out there just swinging comfortably no not not a big effort yeah just really just following through he and- looks like he's about 12 Cody Bellinger looks even old. younger. Yeah, He's he the other rookie. He did okay. He made it to the final four, but then Man, Aaron Judge beat him. Well, that's cool. Man, I'm glad you watched. Mm-hmm. Because what would we be talking about? I know what we'd be talking about. Donnie and Marie. I'm going tonight. No. Yeah, I am. In Vegas? No. No. <laughs> They're coming to... They're coming to a town near me. Right next to the mat. And mm. what's lucky is it's probably going to be 100 degrees. Yeah. And... Uh, it'll probably rain, based on my luck lately. Is this going to be tied in with some Osmond uh, real estate meeting? No. Is that the opener for the show? It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a timeshare. We'd like pitch. to tell you about this Osmond <laughs> program no. that we've got going on. It's just it's it's just Donnie and Marie, and you just a blast to the past. It's going to be great. Sounds like a blast. Were they seeing Puppy Love? Is that their, <clears throat> is that the, yeah? That's Donnie's song. And they'll song, sing. But... I'm a little bit country, okay. and I'm a little bit rock and just roll. Just play the hits. 
In fact, will you go find the Donnie and the no, Donnie no, Osmond uh-uh. not at all. and the Michael Jackson award show uh, announcement thing that they did? Oh, together. I remember seeing that. It's pretty funny. Well, it's like it's two oh. really young superstars in their day so, that neither of them knew how to do it. Do you have a VIP pass? No, I just have mm. a P pass. Mm. For have you ever had him on the show? He no. should be here. No, no, I haven't had him on the show. That'd you could great. ask him about his appearance We've in the had Weird Al on the show. I believe We've had N. Osman. I think it was. Osmond I thought adjacent. it was his son. And oh, you weren't here. I was. I interviewed here. him. Yeah, you ought to remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was good guy. Here. So you'll be in the proximity of an Osman. I will be wearing purple socks mm. and uh, sitting. Uh, in the grass area because I wanted – I knew it was going to be a late day. So I, I'm thinking I might take a blanket and a pillow. So you missed the home run derby and mm-hmm. we know you're going to miss the all-star game too, which is tonight. Yeah. Man, what am I doing? Yeah. I always have to check my calendar all-star earlier. Games. That's the problem. I'm not going to watch it. None of my Dodgers are starting. Well. And they have the best record in baseball. Maybe it doesn't quite But that's compute. probably be- that's better for your Dodgers. They get the rest? They all get to rest. See how that works? It's simple. It's simple. Okay, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about how much power can one image actually wield. The power of the visual media. Up next, stick with us. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? But does a picture have more power to change the world than all the writing of a journalist? Pictures have been the main staple in media, and the most memorable ones are very easy to recall. Do you remember the the uh, crying napalm girl, the man falling or jumping off of the World Trade Center building, um, or even just most recently, the young Syrian refugee who washed up on the shores of Turkey Changing for, I think, a lot of people, the image of, uh, of really what's going on with, this, with immigration around the world. How much power uh, do these images actually wield? So here to speak with us more about this subject is Dr. Nicole Dahman, an associate professor of journalism at the University of Oregon. And uh, her research focuses on ethics and technology in visual communication with an emphasis on photojournalism in the digital age. Dr. Dahman, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. What a fascinating, uh, you know, idea. This, this, this one image, one picture. I mean, I remember vividly. In fact, president uh, in the in the presidential election, Hillary Clinton brings up that picture of that little boy uh, in the back of an ambulance, just sitting there after his family had been killed and and devastated. One image really can change a lot of moods, a lot of you know political movements and can start a lot of things is it is it as is it is it as strong as we all sense it is these images well matt what we're seeing with research is that it's really actually conventional wisdom that photographs can move us to action um yes absolutely photographs can be gut-wrenching they can awaken us to situations but they really have limited power Mm. so really I mean, we we feel it. We feel the impact of it, except uh, in the end, I guess it still goes back to politics. It still goes back to the the initial issues, the initial debates. Well, so, for example, you mentioned the photo of the drowned Syrian boy on the beach. 
So that photo actually was published, and that incident happened back in 2015, yet we still have the Syrian refugee crisis. We still have people dying every single day in Syria. So at the time, yeah, that photo really awakened us to the horrors in Syria. Um, And it really seemed to move people to action, right? So, you know, uh, some statistics show us that 20 million people saw that photo via Twitter in 24 hours. Internet searches spiked. uh, Some governments opened their borders. But what we actually saw, though, was that it was a very short-lived effect. And as you mentioned, too, the photo of the boy in the back of the ambulance, that was a year later. Mm. The same thing happened again. We were awoken for a brief time, and then our interest moved on to something else. What is it about... Is, is this is this a natural phenomenon? Would this have happened 30, 40 years ago, or is it just that, that it's just quickly replaced with the next image? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's absolutely something I spend a lot of time looking at. You know, absolutely, as you mentioned, we now have this sort of oversaturation of horrific images, yeah. a new horrific image every single day because of digital technology and social media, and so we have more and more difficult images coming to our doorstep, and we can sort of only attuned to so much. Whereas, you know, you think about iconic images from World War II or the Vietnam War, yes, there were a lot of images in that time period, but there were only a few key images that we saw across, you know, front pages of newspapers across the evening television broadcast. I mean, I I guess in the end, it's one thing to be moved. It's another thing to know how to fix some of these problems. Um, I remember with the Ferguson uh, shootings and a lot of the the shootings of police officers shooting African-Americans, it created this swell. And every time the next video would come out, a lot of movement, a lot of interest. But then at some point, you still have to fix the problems. Right. And, you know, I think that does speak. And I do want to be clear that images absolutely can help us tell stories in a way that words can't. Images can be very important journalistic tools. As you mentioned, um, police brutality and racial violence in our country, absolutely. We've had a number of important examples recently where that visual documentation helped to bring attention and dialogue to a particular incident that may have otherwise gone overlooked. So, yeah, images can communicate information. They can catch our attention. They're processed more quickly. Um, They can provide that historical documentation. They can provide evidence. But again, it's this conventional wisdom that they can have that long-term impact unless we look at, as you're suggesting, you know, the key issues and the problem and move forward with that issue. The image can only sort of do so much. Well, and in a way, I guess this is the the age-old issue of, in a way, media, it seems like, is supposed to bring up the issues, not fix it, not solve it. So uh, in the end, you're doing your job if the media can get the right images out there to create – you use a great line in your article. Um, you you wake us up. The, the emotional connection to the image might help us overcome the psychic numbing right. that occurs. And so – at some point, it, it wakes everybody up, but then it doesn't seem like it's the journalist's job to make the change. Well, that's a really interesting point that you bring up. And a new area of research that I've been examining actually looks at that journalistic responsibility to cover the story beyond the problem. Uh-huh. So, yeah, as you said, there journalists you do have a responsibility to uncover that problem, right? That's that watchdog function yeah. in the news media. And we need that, absolutely. Journalism should continue to do that. But we must also ask the question, you know, um, if we're just reporting the problem, if we're just reporting the bad stuff, are we really giving audiences a complete picture? Mm. And so 
Um, there's a growing practice term, solutions journalism, and other related genres such as constructive journalism, restorative narrative, that also says we need a more holistic approach to news reporting. So not just asking, you know, who, what, when, where, but also asking what's possible. Oh, interesting. And uh, boy, that, so it really, I mean, it's like, it's a, now you're energized to create the solutions, you're energized to construct the outcome. Well, and again, the important thing to remember here is it's not journalism constructing the solution, it's journalism reporting on how different groups, individuals are approaching that difficult problem. So really important to recognize that this journalistic practice is still rigorous. It's still fact-based. It still has all the tenets of journalism. It's just reporting beyond the problem. But what we are seeing is research is suggesting that audiences absolutely are more energized by solution stories. They're more likely to share such stories. They're more likely to look for such stories, more likely to spend time reading that story, mm. as well as to feel that, you know, um, you know to, to, to combat that mission fatigue that we might all feel on a situation like homelessness. Right. Well, and, and I guess, too, in a way, maybe the pictures transcend the the politics and the kind of the the binary either or choices were forced on so many issues, you know, pro gun, pro, you know, gun rights, pro uh, safe, you know, communities. But but having a picture of somebody that's been shot in a situation it, it transcends all politics and it might, you know, actually humanize the issue. Well, and again, that's something else that we're seeing is photos. Um, a photojournalist who I spoke with recently for some research I'm doing told me, and this quote just sticks with me, if you can look someone in the eyes, they're harder to ignore. Oh, so true. And so absolutely, images can inspire hope. They can reveal healing. They can create that empathy and that human connection. So, you know, we all are facing these same problems right now, right? Poverty, economic disparity, racial tension, social justice, mass shootings, um, as well as sort of systemic issues, as I just mentioned, too. And then things like natural disaster, war. Um, And so what are some potential solutions to these very difficult societal problems? And so images absolutely can help to bring information to those situations, to audiences. You take something like climate change, right? Climate change tends to be very polarizing. Um, You know, we've seen some research, too, that says, don't just show us the air pollution. Don't show us that polar bear on that lone piece of ice. Show us those more um, clarifying, right? Those more comprehensive, those Mm. more ethical visuals that might give us information on recycling or solar panels. Again, that type of image is going to have, as again, research is showing us uh, a stronger and more immediate effect. What would it be? What, what happens to journalism? I mean, if we had no images, right? what would happen to it? And what, would, what percentage of effectiveness would it drop? Right. Well, and again, that's a, that's a great question. So what we've seen over time is that images in the news media have increased. Part of that has to do with technology, right? It's easier to take images now. It's easier to transmit images. It's easier to print and broadcast images. But we also have um, audiences seeking images. Again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, audiences are more attracted to stories with visuals. They're mm-hmm. more likely to share stories on social media that have images. Something that I like to emphasize when it comes to visual communication, too, is photographs more than written or spoken text are more of a universal language. So you don't face that language barrier in interpreting international news with an image in the same way that you would with written or spoken news. 
so they can be more sort of globally processed. Yeah. Which is another good benefit of imagery. Well, um, we, so we, we've seen it over. I mean, President Trump has had a lot of the image of him pulling one of the prime ministers out of line at like the G whatever G7 meeting or whatever it was, G20 meeting. I mean, you can't or the the the, the hand holding issue between uh, President Trump and Mrs. Right. Trump. I mean, the, these images then they do they, they kind of just have their own universal language, universal narrative. They do. And, you know, I think another sort of conventional wisdom is that, you know, images are the truth. Images always tell the truth. And we all know now, right, that images are not always the truth. And it doesn't necessarily have to be digital manipulation that makes the image um, not truth or not fact. Um, We see lots of situations where it may be the angle in which the image was taken or the crop or the narrative, right, the written uh, caption or the story that goes with the image that can really manipulate what we see in the image. But it is important to remember that all images are constructions of reality, right? Journalism is a construction of reality. Yeah. But what we seek for and what we obtain in, um, you know, real journalism is that best obtainable version of the truth. And those those are the words of the legendary journalist Carl Bernstein, whether it's a text narrative, a spoken narrative, a visual narrative, journalism seeks for that best obtainable version of the truth. And images can do that. Images can show us the reality of a situation. They can show us that, um, or they can give us that emotional reaction, right? Images make us feel in a way that words don't always, again, whether it's sorrow, joy, pain, empathy, so true. So true. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Nicole Dahman, an associate professor at the School of Journalism and Communications at the University of Oregon. We're talking photos and journalism and the power of pictures. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, on the phone with us is Dr. Nicole Dahman, Associate Professor at the School of Journalism and Communication at the University of Oregon. And uh, she is has an emphasis on photojournalism in the digital age. Today we're talking about the power of a picture uh, to create a movement, to create at least to garner attention and, and to make things happen. And uh, Nicole, I guess you kind of have debunked a little bit of a myth for us that Undoubtedly, uh, pictures do create a, a stimulus there. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. It might bring our attention to some issues in the world, but it doesn't necessarily mean those issues are going to be solved long term. Absolutely. Again, images can make us aware of a situation, but they don't necessarily move us to action. They don't always sway public opinion. They don't always influence governmental decision making or, as so many people often claim, change history. So true is um, and I guess you bring out you brought up a good point last uh, before the break about because the image could say one thing and then I noticed um, like with the Melania hand holding snub on that European trip or whatever the image kind of speaks for itself but none of us knows we don't know the background we don't know the history and I guess editors need to make sure that they're not making up the story or bringing in an expert to give supposed context on the picture that that isn't real. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's many different ways that photographs can distort the reality of a situation without 
necessarily being digitally manipulated. I mean, digital manipulation is the obvious example of an untruthful photo, but there's lots of different ways. So what I recommend uh, to my students as well as to audiences and interpreting visual information because we should be critical of photojournalistic images just as we should be critical of written narratives or you know broadcast journalism. Um, again, look for sort of discrepancies in the visual itself. Does it appear to have a strange crop, a bizarre angle? Equally important though is to look at the narrative of that photo. Where is the narrative coming from? Um, Again, sometimes we have to sort of check our own biases in these situations, but what is the narrative of the photo? Does the narrative of the photo speak to the image? But the most important thing is to really cross-check information. We have a multitude of news sources available to us today, and again, we all have those news sources that we're comfortable and familiar with and that are our go-to, but we also need to look for that same story as reported from different news outlets to get a more complete picture. Mm, so true. Um I mean, do you sense that we're in a different age visually than we were even 20 or 30 years ago? I mean, because a picture of in the Vietnam War still stands out for so many people. Right. Um, do you sense it's different now just by volume, by amount of visual data we're sorting through? Well, it's interesting. Um, when you talk to some photojournalists, some photojournalists will call you know, as you said, the Vietnam War image by Nick Oot, right? Some people think of that as the golden age of photography yeah. in which we had these one or two sort of key photos that rose to the forefront of imagery and still help us define that event, right? When you ask people what's the first image that comes to mind when you think of the Vietnam War, they're going to say that photo of a, a young girl badly burned by napalm. Lots of people recognize and remember that image, whereas you ask them now, um, take something like Hurricane Katrina, which has now been 10 years. What's mm. the first image that comes to mind of Hurricane Katrina? It's uh, a much more challenging yeah. question to answer. Yeah, the you dome. Yeah, get, yeah. Get, well, you might get the Superdome yeah. or roof rescues or flooding, but you just get a lot more diversity of response. So true, huh? You get there's you more. have more viewpoints to get the image from now. And not just from the news, right? We don't just rely on the newspaper to come to our front door the evening broadcast. You know, I can get news any second from Twitter. When I hear about an incident, I go straight to Twitter. That's true. And I'm not just getting the picture from, you know, a news media. I'm getting pictures from those people who are right there on the scene. Well, and so apparently – oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, too, when it comes to iconic images, what we're seeing now, too, is those iconic images don't just come to us from the news media. You think about that plane landing on the Hudson, right? right. The miracle on the Hudson – that photo was taken by a citizen who just happened to be walking by. Mm. So think of how that changes. And then, I mean, I, I guess, are there are there rights, are there responsibilities for media companies to then procure those? I mean, because now all of a sudden you've got everybody pulling their phone out the minute You're they're right. pulled over or the minute anything's going on. Is Does that change anything as far as journalistic ethic? Right. Well, journalistic ethics is one of my key areas that I study, and absolutely right. it does give us a lot of new questions from the journalistic ethic responsibility perspective. So let's go back to, say, graphic images. So a lot of the images that we've been talking about are very difficult, painful images to look at, right? These are victims. Um, that one on the beach, again, that image of the three-year-old just haunts me, um, you know, washed ashore from mm. the Syrian refugee crisis. So, you know, what is that news media responsibility to publish a difficult image? Journalists and editors and publishers spend a lot of time thinking about this. 
There's a lot of ethical guidelines, Society for Professional Journalists, the National Press Photographers Association, Pointer, all have very specific journalistic recommendations to make those difficult decisions as to whether or not you should run such an image. The public, of course, are not expected to be, nor do they have those trained journalistic codes or experience to make such decisions. Those images just go out there with abandon. Um, So again, lots of things to think about there, and then audiences pick those images up from a variety of sources. And, I mean, I guess, too, nowadays, uh, yeah, you, you could pick up images that were illegally obtained um, by a non-journalist, but then they can still be proliferated by by media companies. Well, and that's where, you know, a, a, a legitimate journalistic organization would not just run such a photo without independent verification right. of that situation. And again, that's one of the things that's going to separate a legitimate news source from something less credible, less yeah. trustworthy. Do you, do you sense that um, in the end, because the, the benefit, too, is these are emotions, these are raw emotions that are at play, is I, I guess as a journalist, um, you really want the visual and you want the contextual behind the story Do you sense that we're becoming so visually driven? Like, for example, Facebook, they 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 weigh your posts better if you have visual than versus just just textual. So, do we already weigh visual higher, even though it's equal? Well, you know, and again, an important point that you just made there is the context is critical because certainly a photograph cannot give us the complete story, and so we absolutely need that written narrative to give us that context, to give us a more complete picture. But the reality is audiences today, you know, we're all just so overwhelmed and we have very limited time and there's so much information out there. A lot of research shows us that we just look at the headline, the photo, and maybe the caption. So we really are going straight to the image and audiences don't always look for that depth narrative, especially, as you mentioned, a context like Facebook, right? We often just have the image Mm. without a lot of context to it. What do you think? What's your take on the White House struggles with the press pool and now they're turning off the press cameras and saying this is going to be a non-video interview? Well, well, I mean, that, that all of a sudden hits. That's a whole hits, other topic we could talk about, you know, That for just hours hits at the core, doesn't it, though, of, right. of the rights of the media, the it needs does. of the media? Well, you know, what we're seeing, and it's especially interesting now <sighs> – You know, I've just finished some research looking at the Obama era and the Obama era relationship between the news media and specifically photojournalists. And actually, in the Obama era, quite frankly, they shut the news media out a lot. Photojournalists were regularly denied access to the White House. It's become more apparent and sort of more um, readily confrontational in the Trump era. But what's interesting is now with the age of social media, presidents are making the argument that and other, you know, politicians, elected leaders are making the argument, we put information out via social media so we can speak directly to the Mm. audience. The problem, though, is it doesn't go through news media scrutiny and independent verification by the press. And so for a functioning democracy, we desperately need the news media. It's the news media's role to verify information, to report from more than just one side. And so, yes, we are getting information from, we got information from the Obama White House. You could argue that the Obama White House put out more information than any other presidency to date, but it came straight from the Obama White House. Right. Um, And absolutely, the Trump White House 
is very much controlling, you know, the journalistic narrative. Well, yeah, and the minute, yeah, the minute you're doing something like turning off cameras and allow, doing an interview mm-hmm. without video, it just it seems like you're fighting a weird fight. Yeah, there's something well, fishy. It, we have to go back to again. We think about you know our democracy. Our democracy li- relies on journalists to be watchdog. It relies on journalism bringing us accurate information to the public. You know, this is that social responsibility theory of the press, and then conversely. We have an audience and, you know, public responsibility to stay informed for a functioning democracy. And so it's incredibly, it's a, you know, it's a really challenging time that we're in right now for journalism, you know, political communication, the government and democracy. It really is. And, and so we have to stay informed. We kind of have to know how to get out of our bubble. We need to be able to ask for more context around our images. Any other advice that you would give us, just the average, uh, I guess, viewer of these images and, and managing our our intake of the data so that we're doing so more responsibly, more balanced way? Right. Well, I think the most important thing to do is to get your news from a multitude of sources. Again, it's okay to have that go-to source, right? We all have that source that we're comfortable with, maybe that we've grown up with, and that's fine. But we also need to look to other sources of news. And again, maybe it's one story. My students are always so amazed. One of the assignments that I have them do is, you know, pick a news story you're interested in, no matter what the story is, and go read that story from 10 different news outlets and look at how different news outlets reported that exact same story. You can do that same thing with, you know, a story with an image, a story with a data visualization, a narrative, and you'll really get a different impression of that story um, the more news outlets that you look at. So true. Break down the bubble a little bit and uh, and open your mind while you're at it. We appreciate you, Dr. Nicole Dahman. Thank you for your great work and um, your insights into how much power an image can actually wield. Nicole Dahman, again, is a Ph.D. and associate professor of journalism at the University of Oregon. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back and continue the journey, helping you be the good in the world and even see the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the program. This is the show where you get the latest and greatest. And boy, a new Pew Research poll, you know, it might be a little scary here, uh, released Monday, revealed that a majority of Republicans think that colleges have a negative impact on the country. 58% of Republicans now say that colleges are having a negative effect on the way things are going in the country, while just 36% uh, Um, see that colleges positively affect the country. Now, this is a a pretty drastic shift from just two years ago in 2015 when the majority of Republicans, 54% of them, rated universities affect as positive, and just 37% said that it was negative. So a complete kind of turnaround uh, with the Republicans and the effects that they see uh, colleges and universities having on I, I, I am assuming this is on our democracy, on our government, on politics. Now, it's interesting too. the younger Republicans still think more positively of colleges impact rather than the older Republicans. So it's the older Republicans that are actually becoming more negative about college and universities, which is weird to me because I would think all these students that are at the universities would be thinking more negatively about the impact of the university. 
Well, maybe, you know, you get up there in age and you realize I never did anything with my college degree. Look at me. Where did it get me? And I guess maybe these are the people, too, that listen to certain shows and stations that might talk about how liberal the universities are, how liberal the media, how, you know, it's all about liberalism. It's all about – and interestingly, the Democrats, on the other hand, listen to this, overwhelmingly view college's impact on our democracy as positive. 72 percent say that colleges are good for the country, while just 19 percent say they're bad. Well, yeah, because they don't have to pay for it. Ah, Isn't that their agenda to make college free? Probably is, especially – and it's happening in, I think, well, one, I think New York proposed it, but I don't know if it's going anywhere. Hmm. Speaking of free, today are you a very special day? Are you are you going to go before I announce it? Are you are you in or not? Oh, I've already gone. You've already gone. I've already gone twice. <laughs> that was my breakfast. Today is Seven Eleven Day, folks, which means today you get a free Slurpee. Forget colleges and the impact they're having. Let's talk about the impact Seven Eleven is having on this country. What's very your favorite positive. flavor? Oh. I like uh, I like cherry. Oh wild yeah, the cherry. wild cherry. Ah, oh, so good. And if you mix it with like a Coca Cola one, then it's Ooh. like having a cherry Coke. You know, for a limited time, they had a diet cherry Coke <gasps> flavor. Really? It was there for like a week. Yeah. It was almost like there was a fairy there, and I caught it in the moment. Oh yeah. And then when I brought my friends back and tried to tell them, no, it's right. It was, it dead. was gone. Yeah, it was dead. It's like you caught the fairy, you shoved it in your pocket, and it, it more likely it my asphyxiated. mouth. Yeah, yeah, it was tasty. I when I was down with my illness, surgery, gallbladder issue, that's all I had were these awesome little incredible Slurpees. They're my best friends. I love them. I love them. It's probably going to be a line, so be patient. But get in there. Be patient. It's it's Seven Eleven Day. It's easy to remember because it's just 7-Eleven day. Thank heaven. Thank heaven for 7-Eleven. A little commercial there for, uh, for the greatest Slurpee capital on the earth. We will take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends and enemies alike. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Dr. Matt You got here. enemies? Yeah, two of them. I don't like talking about them. Hmm. Hmm. Jerks. Hey, I've uh, got a great show for you today. Happy 7-Eleven Day. This is the day you enjoy yourself a good Slurpee. They're free today. You can get a free Slurpee if you go to, I guess, a participating 7-Eleven store. They all better be participating. Yeah, what if you're the one that doesn't participate? You're going to get egged. Yeah. Not by me. But, you're, you know. Sorry, we're the 710 store. Okay. Well, whatever. You today, you'll also go get to appreciate Cow Appreciation Day. You're not going to want to miss that. It's the clever brainchild of the Chick Fil A company. So I guess today, celebrate a cow, appreciate a cow by eating chicken. 
or Slurpees. Or a cow. Or Slurpees or a cow. Yeah, I appreciate cows very much. Who doesn't love a cow? And by the way, with a little Slurpee on the side? You gotta love it. It's a great day to be alive. Uh, a lot of free food day. Let's just call it that. I'm going to the movies. You're going to the movies. Bought You're going tickets to see... for 20 people. Used my Megaplex card. I received two free sodas, a free popcorn, and a free movie. Now, you bought tickets for 20 people, uh, but just you and your kids are going? Well, yeah, we don't really like to sit around other people. So. <laughs> But it was it was a really good deal because not only did you get all that extra space, you also got a free drink, a couple free drinks. Yes. And popcorn. Yes. I hope you can sell those cards, those other tickets for real because if not, you are in – No, we didn't. We don't want to. We want to have empty seats. You really seats. want empty well, seats? want to lie down. You're in there. There's plenty of seats all over the place and they come sit right next to you. Yeah. They always want to sit next to you. It's just go sit over there. You know what you do? It's so easy. Take your shoes and socks off. And rub your feet. Mm. No one will sit by you. It's I had, amazing. It's I had amazing a friend thing. who said he sat next to somebody that uh, took his hand that was all buttery and everything, and just was wiping it all on the armrests. And I don't think he went back to the movies after that. <laughs> gross. That is pretty gross. Just to scare you. Don't even Ugh. get me started on hotels. Yeah, and don't even get. I won't even tell you what happens in Spider Man. Because you haven't seen it. Yeah, he dies. No, he does not. He dies in a ferry accident because his, he does he does, his no. special spidey cords break because no. he can't hold a ferry together. They're called webs, and no, he does not die. They're spidey cords. Does not sound like the move of a company that is interested in money. Heroes will not die till the next Avengers movie. Then they're going to just kind of clear house. And then they'll reboot it, and then they're, they'll be alive again. Because they're reaching the end of their – they had a three-phase plan. They're reaching the end of phase three. So wow. now it's time to reboot. Come it's up like with a some soap new opera, really, because oh, in soap really operas, is. people can die and then they really weren't dead. Sure. In comic books, no one dies. Wow. But it's sad that Spider-Man dies in this one. Well, he does not. In the ferry accident. He does when not. the cords break, the he, he spidey does. cords. You haven't seen the movie. I've seen the trailers. But they're not – it doesn't show him that happening. No, it's that he was pulling it and then it rips Spidey in half. No, wrong. it doesn't. That's – And then I guess he turns into two Spideys. Wrong. That's not that. No. You're wrong. Okay. I'm not going to take you on on it, but wow. I have watched the trailer. I've seen the movie. He doesn't die. Yeah, but did you see the trailer? Yeah, I've seen all of the trailers. Trailers a lot of times are different than the movies. They very much are. So I'll show you the trailer where he dies. Oh, okay, good. I think Wonder Woman did something, too. Wonder Woman. I think she killed Spider-Man. Yeah, I think that was it. She gave him the lasso of truth. Pretty cool. Uh, we Alternative got a lo- facts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got a lot. Now there's people out there thinking, so did Spider-Man die? What? What happened? Did I see that <laughs> yeah, movie? it's on the trailer. Yeah. Um, we got a great show. We're going to be talking about how the internet is affecting our brains and how uh, the internet affects our attention span. Huh? Huh? Hmm? Who? What? Uh, obviously, it, it has a major effect because um, just listen to our show. We can't stay on a topic longer than two minutes. Hey, I'm going to see uh, Spider-Man tonight. Oh, you are? Yeah. Did you already get your tickets? Yeah. You know, we bought out a whole – I bought 20 of them. I got a free coupon for drinks, popcorn, and a movie. Point proven right there. Mm. Did you see that? That was good. He His attention span is like – Seriously, like a minute. Explains a lot. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, what are you doing tonight? 
Uh, well, uh, instead of the All Star Game, really? I'm going to be again? watching a movie. We're what, this again. what movie are you going to? Spider Man. Okay, it's too bad. Did you hear he dies in it? Yeah, he dies. Uh, the, he gets ripped between a fairy that's breaking because Spidey cords break. They're called Spidey cords. Um, we got a great show for you today. We'll be talking about <laughs> how the internet is affecting our brains. <laughs> We're doing this again. And um, we will also – we've got an update because apparently they found a new planet. Oh, OK. A tenth planet. And we have a special guest interview. Somebody that knows bloated planets – Mm. Very well. Wouldn't it be a ninth planet? Because the ninth planet was Pluto, and then he was declassified. Well, it's right? a, it's he, a... He, he's still a dwarf planet, I okay. think, isn't he? So he's, I mean, he's a dwarf planet. He's, he doesn't like to be called that, but that is what he is. There's a couple phantom planets beyond Pluto. Yeah. So this, so, yeah. they found, they think, ten. they think they found a tenth planet. So we will be going without confirming special, the ninth planet. Well, yeah, with actually – Unless they're counting Pluto, then never mind. Maybe it is Pluto. Could be Pluto. Well, it could be Pluto. And that's what he we're going to find out with our special – Our special guest interview will be it'll, – it'll blow your mind quite literally because you won't believe. And it's not Shik Shumway because I think we fired him just because he doesn't ever really do the job. No, he's still here. We just don't – can't really we just can't send him to space. That's true. Well, we tried. Um, so that's straight ahead. Why not? Yeah. We have the budget. Send Plus, them to space. Uh, if you want to get out of jail free, we'll, we'll show you how. Oh, nice. I don't know if you know this, but there is a card yes. that you can use. Really? Well, at least one of our criminals thought you could use yeah. to get out of jail. So we'll I think get to that. There's a community chest that you can get it from, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you don't even have to break the bank. You just got to roll the die. It's all good. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's up? Authorities in Pennsylvania say they suspect foul play in the disappearance last week of four young men who may know each other. And the leads in the investigation are, uh, they're calling them hot, as the police had a mm. press conference yesterday as they combed the area near where they vanished. When asked if foul play was suspected in the case, the sheriff said it sure would seem so but declined to share any further information. An arrest was made at a home on Monday near property that was being searched. Cosmo Donardo, 20, uh, 20 years old, was arrested and charged with firearms possession offense from February. It's unclear if Donardo is a suspect in the disappearance of the men. He's being held on $1 million bail for a gun charge. Oh, boy. And his name's Cosmo. Cosmo Donardo. Cosmo Donardo. <laughs> But and these four, how old are these boys? It doesn't say. I believe they're in their twenties, and they're just missing. They're just missing. It's spring really break? Was it spring break? I'm not sure. I guess that's over. Yeah. Huh. So we'll scary. see if that story scary. continues. Uh, Delta Airlines flight attendant smashed a wine bottle over the head of a male passenger who <laughs> lunged for an exit door Ooh. and assaulted a flight attendant and fellow passengers during a Beijing-bound flight from Seattle. Twenty-three-year-old Joseph Daniel Hudick of uh, Tampa, Florida appeared in U.S. court on Friday. The Boeing 767 turned around about an hour after takeoff from Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, according to a uh, spokesperson. According to the complaint, the first-class passenger, Hadek, went into the forward restroom. He came out quickly, asked the attendant a question, and went back in. When when Hadek exited the restroom two minutes later, he suddenly lunged for the exit door, grabbed the handle, and tried to open it. Two attendants grabbed him, but he pushed them away, and the attendant signaled for help from the several passengers and notified the cockpit by telephone. 
the complaint said. During the altercation, Hadek punched one flight attendant twice in the face, struck at least one passenger in the head Whoa. with a, an, a, a another wine bottle. As the struggle raged on, a flight attendant grabbed two other wine bottles Holy and hit him cow. over the head with each one. It was one. a five wine bottle. He broke. They broke one of the bottles over his head, according to one flight attendant cited in the complaint. Hadek did not seem impacted by the breaking of the uh, the first wine bottle, so she went for the second one. Uh, he did turn around and look at her after he hit her, hit him, and said, "Do you know who I am?" I'm Hadik. Or something to that extent. <laughs> Several passengers were eventually able to restrain him and held him long enough to zip tie him, and then they landed back in Seattle. Oh, can, if you're Whoa. on that, that's a scary flight. And apparently, Plus a lot of waste of wine and a, the handle. <laughs> the handle on the door. It's like he got it halfway down, almost open so mid flight. Because yeah. then some dude that doesn't have a seatbelt on or whatever sitting right there. Yeah, gone. Uh, yeah. Did Hadek know that once he opened that, he'd be gone? I know. I think he just thought that that was the lavatory, yeah, the other lavatory. I really have to go. <laughs> Rumors out yesterday have uh, British actor Daniel Craig agreeing to play James Bond once again, and Adele agreeing to do the theme song. Ah, the last time she did yeah. Skyfall, she She's won the Grammy so good. and the Oscar. I thought she had nodules. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Nodes, nodes, throat, nodules, She's got nodes. nodules. Right. So yeah. So yeah, there were several rumors of other. But he, British no, remember, actors. this yeah. is the guy that did yeah. nothing but make a ton of money and complain yeah, about said, being Bond in uh, 2015. No, yeah, he said I'd rather slash my wrists than play that role again. Oh boy. And then he probably made them a uh, an offer. He probably said you need to pay me this much money. He probably felt it was a ridiculous amount, and they matched it. Well, and pay for his wrist surgery. Maybe he's just not a fan of the press tour. Like, maybe he's tired yeah, of doing no. the same interview 100,000 times. Or is he a real actor thespian that says, I need, I need to be a different part than James Bond? There's that. He is going to be – he's going to play a hick in a yeah. movie next month. A hick? Uh, Logan, I, don't, I don't know if Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. Yeah, it's like a NASCAR movie. Um, a hick? Is that the term? Yeah. He's probably making that reference because of the NASCAR tie-in. So it's Daniel well, but Craig. But if you're a NASCAR fan listening to the show right now, yeah, you're thinking, hold it. Hold it, sir. Yes. Yeah, okay. But I am not a hick. Daniel Craig, bleach blonde hair with a southern accent. How yeah. cool is that? Is he ripped? Does he still have abs? No. Does he wear, does he drive a Jaguar? A Jaguar? No. Okay. Does he have a nice suit? An Armani suit? Uh, no. Nobody gets naked. Naked. In the trailer, he says, I'm getting naked. Okay. Then he is a hick. Yeah. So. Okay. Man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. All right. Uh, we got to, we got some fun stuff. I got to get to uh, before we go to our first interview. A suspect hands a get out of jail free Monopoly card to the deputy. Listen to this. Turns out those get out of free jail cards from Monopoly board game don't actually work in real life. Ah. Bummer. A Dakota County, Minnesota deputy arrested a man wanted on a felony warrant over the weekend in Ravenna Township, and the suspect pulled out his Monopoly card. We appreciate the humor, the sheriff officer said, the police officer said, uh, A for effort. But the 35-year-old suspect was arrested for fifth-degree controlled substance warrant out of Ramsey County. Bail was set at $5,000. <sighs> It doesn't work. You can't just pull out your get-out-of-jail-free card. And by the way, do you just carry that around with you? I mean, is that is that what you do? Just keep it in your wallet, right? 
This is just yeah, oh, just in case. Officer, 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 officer. Let you me, you let hear me about you. people like keeping like the business card of a police officer, so they show it, and you get out of jail or get out of a ticket. Or oh, something. I've never heard of that. You never heard of that? No, I just pay you need my better tickets. friends. Is that what you do? Yeah, sure. My friend's a cop. Here's this card. I know a guy. I have a feeling my cops that pull me over would just say, and? Was he driving you today? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, uh, we've been paying close attention to the news lately, and scientists have found evidence that a tenth planet lurking at the edge of the solar system may exist. Another planet may be out there. While we don't have a budget to send our uh, roving reporter Shik Shumway up into space to investigate, we do have the next best thing. Well, I mean, may not be the next best thing, but uh, Pluto. He's our favorite planet, and uh, for Pete's sake, he's, you know, he's been on the show two or three times now. Sometimes he gets a little offended, but uh, he is our favorite planet here to answer some questions. Are you there with us, Pluto? Are you there? Matt, you promised you'd be civil if I agreed to do this show again. You're going to be civil, right? Oh, now, Pluto, of course I'm going to be civil. I mean, I've always been civil with you. It's just you're a little sensitive. Hey, here, let me just, let me just get to the point. Are you that planetary mass object that we've been talking about? Are you that tenth planet, that that big mass object? No, Matt. No, I, I've been getting this question a lot. Believe me, though, I would love the attention. But, uh, you know, I've got to try to do it by uh, doing rinky-dink shows like this one, which I doubt whoa. is really getting me any exposure at all. You know whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, now, hey, Pluto, remember that uh, civility goes both ways, right? I mean, be careful. All right. So are are you sure it's not you? Let me just read the description that they have in the in the reports. They they say the object is lurking at the edge of the solar system. And we know you love to lurk. Uh, Listen, Matt, the incident you're referring to happened one time. And uh, also, it was never proven in a court of law. Okay. Okay. So, so how about this one? Then they say in the report that the object is disrupting the orbits of others, other smaller rocky, you know, bodies that are within the Kuiper Belt. And I know better than anybody, and I think you know, with no disrespect, that you are a known disruptor. Uh, uh, listen, Matt. That aside, you don't know what I'm dealing with up here. This guy. He's keeping everybody up with his hard rock music. He's leaving his garbage lying all over the place. Uh, you know, it's it's like, um, what is it like? It's like, uh, you know, I you don't know what it's like, Matt. Is it is it? It's like garbage. He's just leaving his garbage around, like garbage, like you. Well, excuse me. Uh, nothing, nothing. So, are, so are you the planetary mass object? Are you the uh, hypothetical planet nine? You know, are you the same? Are you, are you that big, bulky, no, fat planet no, that they found? Know, and as as far as I know, this planet nine and this mass object are not the same thing. Although, uh, you know, Planet Nine—that's a pretty good movie. Have, have you seen the Planet Nine from outer space? No. But I'm sure it's uh, if it's coming if it's got a recommendation coming from you, it's got to be a winner, you know. Now, I don't want to be rude. Uh, anyway, uh, I want you to be honest with me. They say that this planetary mass object supposedly is Mars-sized, and Pluto. Not to be rude, you know, dwarf planet or not, having lost your planet, your ninth planet status, 
we know you've put on a lot of weight with all those Mars bars, those moon pies. We're worried about you here down on Earth. You got to get some help. I'm a doctor. I can help you. Let me help you. Let me help you lose some of that weight. And uh, just call my office. Just call my office, talk to my people, and, and we'll get you an appointment. And then we can kind of walk through the loss of your planetary status and the weight gain you've put on. Pluto? Pluto. Oh, boy. I guess he's gone. We probably lost the signal. It's hard to keep the signal up there, Terry. Did you offend him? No, I don't think so. All the weight talk and well, I mean, him I'm just trying to help him. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that he, I, I don't know that I called him bulky. I think I called him mass. Well, there was a bulky comment made. Yeah. And so maybe next time, more sensitive, less. I don't know. Like pointing fingers. At I don't. I don't think. I think it's weight just, issues. I think it's just. I'm trying to figure out if he's that planetary mass, and he obviously is, but he doesn't see. You know, it's hard to see that you're the planetary mass that you are until you just look down. Uh, Okay, well, uh, done with Pluto, I guess. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the Internet is affecting our brains and uh, and your attention span. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, realize what you're losing when you get online. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. How much time would you say you spend on the Internet? Surfing, connecting through social media, tweeting, watching movies, fact-checking, email, work, you know, checking the weather, buying your food, clothing, tickets, you know, all that stuff. These days you can do near basically everything you'd ever want to do can be done just through the Internet. But an important question um, that we might want to ask is should we be doing everything on the Internet? Is it even possible to go a day without the Internet? Our guest today is Tim Caulfield. He is a professor uh, or a professional debunker and a professor in the Faculty of Law and um, the public the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. And uh, he, he's written a wonderful – or was cited and written extensively in an article from Salon.com called uh, – or titled, The Internet is Scrambling Our Brains. We spend more time online than sleeping, and here, here's how it's messing us up, where as a professional debunker, he went about looking at all of the research. So, Tim Caulfield, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Love the article and just your insight and your willingness to – to, to you know, tear it apart for us. First of all, talk about it. How much time are we spending on the internet? The average person. A crazy amount of time. Yeah, it's funny. I I actually got into this because we were doing research on things like Twitter and the impact of Twitter. So I was sort of drawn into into this this field. And you start looking at the numbers, and it's staggering. So you know, it really varies it depends on how you how you look at it. Some studies put as much as, you know, if you're talking about screen time, right? So you're right. looking at your computer seven, eight hours a day for some people. And, it, and it's not surprising if you work at places, but kids are doing this too. There's a study done in the U.K. that found the average kid spends 27 hours a, uh, a week Holy on, yeah, on, and that's like social media stuff, right? So yeah. it's, it's crazy, right? So then some studies have found that we, we average about an hour a day for some, in some segments on, on Facebook alone. So 
Yeah, this is a really big part of being a human now, right? This is a big part of our lives. So I think that's why we're starting to see a lot of really interesting research emerge around this. And the other interesting thing, of course, is uh, this has become a really fascinating way that ideas are spread now. This is how we learn about things, and that is also having really important social implications. Really, I guess there's physiological issues. Like if you're spending seven to eight hours a day, that's more time than you're probably sleeping. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, that's true on two levels. One, you're spending too much time on social media and not enough time sleeping, which is another really interesting issue attached to this whole phenomenon. As you probably know, uh, most Americans, most Canadians, most uh, people don't get enough sleep, and there's increasing studies to show that. Uh, you, you know, we should be averaging somewhere between seven and eight, seven and nine, depending on, you know, your own individual needs. And uh, most people aren't doing that. As many as 60% of people aren't getting enough sleep. And it is tied to social media use. Now, this just isn't the, you know, the, the warning that we shouldn't have our tablets or smartphones in, in bed with us, right? We, you know, the whole idea that blue light is keeping us up and right. making us not sleep as well. It's also tied to doing social media throughout the day. This multitasking world that we live in is associated with not sleeping. So if you're checking your Facebook, there's one study that came up very recently, che- uh, checking your, your Facebook page frequently is associated with not sleeping well. Oh, my heavens. We're pathetic. I guess we're just we're following the lead. In fact, one of the things in your article talks about it, and maybe this is it, the world is being engineered for distraction. Right. So it's yeah. we're, we're just following the lead of the I mean, the instrument is going to create the use, too. Yeah, I think that's a very you know interesting point. It, the, it is. I mean, you think about it. It's being engineered for us to to be distracted. You know, you have your pop ups come up on your on your you know, I'm, I'm so guilty of this myself. You know, it's one of those do as I say, not as I do. That kind of story. Right. You know, you have your, the pop-ups come up in the corner of your, of your computer. You check it out, you know. And the other interesting thing that happens is if you're working on a task at work uh, and you're feeling anxious about that task, oh, I can't get this finished, you have a tendency to shift to Twitter, to, to email, to Facebook, right? It's, it's a way of escaping that task. So we have all these tools at our fingertips that allow us to, to be distracted and to give the illusion of multitasking when, in fact, instead of really multitasking, you're just doing a bunch of things, a bunch of things poorly. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. We just had an expert on, too, about attention and, or I mean, about uh, procrastination, and it's true. All of, we use all of these other, uh, these other, you know, tools, apps, but in reality, we're, we feel like we're still busy, like, I'm, it's not like I wasn't at work, Tim. Come on. I've been at work yeah, all day. Right. I just have been distracted 70% of it. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, and I, I don't know if you guys covered this, but, but studies have also shown that there's an inverse correlation between the belief that you can multitask and your ability to multitask. <laughs> I believe that. In, in other words, those that think they're really good at multitasking are the ones that are really bad at it. <laughs> One study found only 2.5% of the population can actually multitask efficiently. The rest of us, and let's be honest, that's, you know, almost everybody yeah. uh, is terrible at it. And yet we, the majority think we're the bomb. Yeah, that's we right. are, And that's, there's other studies that show that, right? We all think we're, we're awesome. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're terrible at multitasking, and that's partly because you have this this, uh, the drain that happens on your brain when you switch, right? It creates a cognitive drain whenever you have to switch between tasks. 
So, you know, get it done. Look at it. Yeah. No, totally. Focus on your project and get it done. Do you, do you when you think about it, I mean, is this just a, an aversion we all have to advancing technology? Or, like, I mean, I remember growing up and my mom was like, you're going to go blind watching that much television. Your brain's going to shrink. But you're a, you're a health researcher. You're doing this really – for health's sake, what um, what in the world are you finding about what it's doing to our health? So this, I think, this is really important caution that you're, you know, caveat that we should, you know, in, inject here is you, we got to be careful not to just bash technology yeah. right, or bash the new thing because, because as you just pointed out, you're, you're exactly right. It happens every generation. You know, comic books are going to kill us. Comic books are making kids evil, right? Movies are terrible. TV's terrible. You know, it's, it's always, we've heard that every single generation, every single evolution uh, that we've seen in, in the realm of media. Uh, and, and this is the same thing. I mean, there's lots of really good things associated with this. This is, you know, it's not going away. Uh, so uh, we also have to realize there are these good things associated with it. Uh, but we need to understand the harm it can have uh, on our lives so we can get, sort of try to get the best out of it, right? right. But it is having an impact, on, I think, on our ability to sleep. It's having an impact on our ability to concentrate. It's having an impact on, you know, probably on our productivity, and I think that that's, there's evidence to support that. Uh, there's also evidence it's having an impact on perhaps, in, you know, for some communities, on um, body image, you know, you think of Instagram. There's some studies emerging on on how you know, we're we are evolutionarily predisposed to be um, social comparators. We can't stop but compare ourselves to others. Mm-hmm. And there's interesting research that shows that now our social comparators are you know you know models being projected to us onto our phone, right? So you have this kind of social comparison going on. So there's image, you know, some studies that suggest that's problematic. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of things that are having an adverse effect. Because there are some good stuff, too, that we could talk about, though. Yeah, in fact, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back and continue the discussion with you, Tim. Um, I want to find out about the positive stuff. Also find out about, uh, you know, the the way media is created. Um, it, it's I mean, it's impacting us, I guess. One health thing, risk is now we actually can't leave our home without – Many of us having a, a, having nomophobia, the fear of not having our phone. What happens to us then? Um, we're gonna, we're learning about all of it: the good, the bad, the ugly. More with Tim Caulfield uh, from the University of Alberta and some of his um, wonderful work on understanding what's really happening with our brains when it comes to the impact of the internet. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, honored to have professor in the faculty of law school and the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. He joins us. Tim Caulfield's his name, and he is a uh, he's a wonderful uh, writer and researcher. He is the Canada Research Chair in Health, Law, and Policy, and a professor um, of uh, law. But he also has published over 300 articles and book chapters and is a fellow at the Trudeau Foundation. But one of his interesting um, 
articles is called The Cure for Everything, Untangling the Twisted Messages about Health, Fitness, and Happiness. Actually, that's a book. And another book, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? When Celebrity Culture and Science Clash, which is a book that was just recently released. Timothy Caulfield, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Hello. Love, uh, love your stuff. Because the reality is, with the Internet, too, it, it all seems, you know, so accurate. Everyone can have a voice. Everyone can have an opinion. Everyone can throw out an assertion. And so one of the fears I have just as I'm raising my kids is this thought that if, if kids are on, if all of us on average are on the Internet seven to eight hours a day, and my teens might even be more, you know, because they, they really are so into it, all of a sudden I worry, where are they going to get their information from? Where are they learning what's real in life and what's not? And apparently it's not all right. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's the exact stuff that drew um, you know myself into it, and also my whole research team into it is, is how the information is spread yeah. uh, on the internet. And you you are you're you're dead right. It's it's very easy for um, inaccurate ideas to spread and take hold. And so there's this fascinating tension with with the internet and with you know with Twitter with with Facebook. On the one hand, you have this wonderful marketplace of ideas, right? Right, Where, right. You know, all these ideas can get out there and everyone can share their thoughts. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the ideal, that the best case scenario. But unfortunately, and there's been some really interesting research that's come out on this, the opposite can happen where where bad ideas can thrive because you have this sort of cognitive bias this co- this confirmation bias that that comes into play where where everyone who agrees on the same crazy idea can start sharing their idea mm. and then it confirms that belief for you and it happens that it can happen at all levels with you know teenagers and you know some urban myth you know right up to to myths about vaccinations right so uh, it is a fascinating problem and, uh, you know, curious how we could fix it. Well, that is fascinating because it's social media now. Can People can gang up and uh, like-minded groups could go try to influence dramatically the argument without real statement of fact or without real evidence. Right, you get these echo chambers, these yeah. virtual echo chambers that start to form. And, you know, the vaccination myth is a really good example of it. You see it emerge on, you know, controversial topics like GMOs and climate change, uh, where people of like minds, you know, they start talking to each other, and it seems truer to them, right, mm-hmm. because of that. So, you know, one of the recommendations is always look for different perspectives. You know, force yourself to get outside of your bubble. I was always say, you know, go burst your bubble and explore other ideas. Uh, and, I, and I think that kids need to be taught that, too. They need to be taught critical skills on, on how to navigate the Internet, how to navigate information uh, on the Internet. I guess that is one of the tools that we can use to combat this is educating our children in, you know, in, in their own – utilizing their own thinking and multiple sourcing and, and looking for little things. I mean now all of a sudden you can have a news article, what seems like a news article on CNN, but it's really a sponsored article from a, a marketer, a marketing company that is just pitching their goods. Yeah, that's right. But it, it looks it, like a story. It it happens in research, too, right? You know, have these articles that come out. They look like a real research paper. It looks like a real research journal. And it really is just part, as you know, uh, part of marketing. And the other thing that can happen, and this happens a lot with, with platforms like Instagram, and it really is aimed at kids often, uh, where you have these Instagram stars, these social media stars, and it looks like they have these 
spontaneous pictures of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And they're really advertisements, and they're carefully curated. And, you know, they've probably starved themselves for a week to get yeah. the shot. <laughs> and it looks like it's a completely candid shot of them in their lives when they've, someone's actually paying them to wear the dress, to be in that location, and they've got a pro- professional photographer who's taking the pic, right? It's not their buddy at the mall. Uh, but uh, that creates this illusion of, of a reality that doesn't exist, right? And uh, we're even seeing, you know, Kim Kardashian. Uh, you can't have a, a discussion <laughs> no, about No, I knew she was coming up sometime. <laughs> without raising her name. Kim Kardashian is marketing pharmaceuticals on Instagram. Oh, right? sure. So you have, you have this kind of thing happening, and it looks like it is this really casual picture, and it creates this illusion that we know this person, person this parasocial relationship, which increases the power of, of the message. Holy cow. Oh, my heavens. Kim Kardashian is pitching pharmaceuticals. Like yeah, That's right. It, she is. It, uh, it was, a, it was a, uh, a, a pregnancy drug, and she, you know, she was holding it up, and it was like, oh, OMG, of course. <laughs> this is a great drug. And you know, uh, avoiding saying the name. Yeah. And um, and uh, it, it's interesting because that is that regulated by the FDA. You know, is that even legal in any country? Right? Can you do that? And so it's can you regulate a Kardashian? That is the question. <laughs> I think the answer is no. Apparently, right? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, really. And then, I mean, and you see it too with uh, in the in the political world, Donald Trump. I mean, the ability to tweet whatever you want, whenever you want. And and get and then get legitimate news agencies to pick it up, run with it, and speak of it as factual. Yeah, it's almost like truth doesn't matter anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's it's really getting you know things to circulate as, as fast as possible. And this also raises another interesting phenomenon here. Uh, you know, it's something I always always encourage the research community to do is you know don't shy away from social media because it sounds like you know we're bash- bashing social media, but you know you need the good voices there too. Absolutely, so encouraging re- researchers get involved, get engaged. When you see something on social media that is not true or you have a different perspective, become part of the discussion and get the truth out there and link to reliable, trustworthy sources that are independent that people can. We have to give those you know that those kinds of messages. Uh, more traction, right? So I think that, you know, ironically, one of the solutions is to have good voices, good trusted voices, people that are doing the research involved in the discussion. Mm. And um, so talk more about what what else is, like, what's good about this? Like, what's good about what's happening to even how we, our, our ability to focus? Like, I mean, I remember a study um, somewhere just about the attention span might be shrinking, but some of that is just simply because we are choosing to use our brains are becoming using the like Google and other search engines as a means to just to to do the research. We don't re, we don't have to keep everything in our heads anymore. We can just go to Google when we need to. That seems yeah, positive. Yeah, there is there is that positive, right? This idea. Look, it is a ridiculously fantastic source of information. You know, I spend, yeah, I spend hours and hours. You know, I'm a researcher, so I you know I spend hours on online you know researching. So I mean, there's that obvious advantage. But there's also some interesting things around health, where you know I talked about the downside of social comparison, 
But then there's the positive side of creating online communities, right, where where you can find like-minded individuals. There, there have been some great body image um, uh, movements that have happened uh, on, on Instagram and on Twitter where people are, are just trying to, you know, really accepting the way they look. That's fantastic, right? And then finding communities of people that agree with that. You find it, you find uh, perhaps there are individuals who have a particular health uh, issue. They can find communities that have a similar issue and share ideas. That kind of stuff is great. There's been some studies that show that it can be used to motivate exercise, right, mm. where you find communities. So those are, you know, all, all great things. And uh, also I think th- that you can spread good, th- good news about health, right? You can spread, uh, help to spread information about what, what research is emerging, about, about exercise, about healthy living through uh, um, social media. All of those things are good, right? And so I think what we need to do is figure out how to get more of the good and a little less of the bad. Yeah, but maybe, you're, maybe you can't have Kardashian involved. Just an um, idea. Yeah, this is, you know, uh, I think this is, you know, and this, of course, I have to do a lot of research on the impact of, of celebrity culture. And I, I'm kind of starting to agree, I agree with that. I know it sounds like a radical idea, but I, I think that, you know, celebrities should not be involved in complex health issues. Let's have them making statements about organ donation and right, there don't you go. smoke and, you know, those things where it's unequivocal and clear, you know, don't drink and drive mm-hmm. and stay away from, you know, these complex things about, you know, dieting and, and cancer screening and those kinds of things where it's, the message is much, uh, you know, more complex and I think you need a more nuanced message. Celebrity is not great with nuance. Yeah. And, and, espe- yeah, and especially real true science like, um, you know, immunizations and it can get a little gummed up and a lot of people can immediately be confused. Uh, that, that's right, and that's the other problem with social media is, and there's, again, fascinating studies that show this, is it circulates, it helps to circulate these bad ideas. So even if you don't think Jenny McCarthy is a credible source of information, and I think very few Americans would say she's a credible source of information, she keeps the idea alive and circulating, right? Right. And, and just the fact that that idea is circulating out there uh, gives it a degree of power. Oh, true. Is there a difference between the different social media you know, sources, um, Facebook, Twitter? Uh, do you see a difference between these and the impact they have on the user? Um, you know, I think that, that uh, and again, that's a great question, because increasingly it looks like there's a little bit of segmentation happening. I think Twitter is increasingly being used more for business and for research, uh, you know, less, you know, when it first came out, it was much, and for, the, for news. Um, and so in, that, in those realms, then perhaps that's the, the, the most powerful force. When the, a, a broader, you know, narrative is involved, you know, Facebook uh, and when you're talking about images, increasingly Instagram, right? So you yeah. have these different these different kinds of platforms having different kinds of influences, giving given uh, depending on the, the audience that is its primary uh, focus. What what do we do? I mean, h- how do we turn off this culture? I mean, I guess everyone's it's intriguing. What does Gwyneth Paltrow think? Um, I guess it's intriguing. But what what do we teach our kids? What would you suggest? As the parents that are listening, what should we be teaching our kids about the culture and about just being present and learning how to kind of own your own internet use? Well, I'm a I'm a real 
science geek, so this is going to sound like a very new agey yeah. suggestion coming from me. But I think there's something to this idea. I even cringe saying this phrase, but I'm going to forward it because I think there's actually science to back it up. I think the idea is you've got to be more in the moment, right? I right. think teaching that to kids, it's meaningful, right? This idea of trying to appreciate the moment. The other thing in, uh, you, we have to teach, and, and this is starting to happen more and more in schools all around the world, is that kind of critical media studies, right? You know, to, to be more skeptical, to be more critical about what you're seeing online, to give them those critical, you know, those tools, right? Mm-hmm. Those intellectual tools to be critical. I think that's important and that's starting to happen. And the other thing I think is uh, um, teaching kids the degree to which this is an illusion, right? What you are seeing is an illusion. And we're starting to see school, schools do that more often, but I think families can do that too, right? Really sitting down and say, look, this is not reality, what you're looking at. This is entertainment. And if we can you know, keep it in the realm of entertainment, uh, I think that helps too. That's why, it's, it's, again, it's funny to hear them trying to even pin that like on Donald Trump as an entertainer, right? He's not our He's not a politician. He's an entertainer. But the reality of it is we can't always discern what's entertainment, what's what's really, you know, a good leader, what's good what's good politics. It, I, I think these are skills that everybody needs. It, I, and I've even noticed in my own world, I didn't gain this critical thinking until I think I was in my second master's program on a way to a doctorate. But how do we how do I get it in my kids today i hopefully like you're saying that becomes part of the curriculum and it is in my in canada it actually is becoming you know i've got four kids and they've all got been subjected to at least a little bit of that in both junior high and high school so that's good. that's great you're starting to see that you're starting to see that trend and i love that right uh, but I think, you know, people can just talk about it more more generally. I'm like you, you know, I, I used to really fall for, you know, even though I had done, you know, my science degree and all that, I used to fall for stuff myself. Yeah. It's easy to get pulled into the, that those stories because they are so powerful and they're circulating so much. You know, the the other, I think, skill set that people need is this idea of avoiding the multitasking, right? And I fall for it, too, every day. I'll probably fall for it 15 minutes after I hang up with <laughs> you, but really trying to be disciplined and, and finish tasks. I, I think that, you know, uh, that is also an incredibly important skill we can teach our kids. You know, I see my kids looking at their... I had, there's this, there was this great image. It was finals at the university recently, and there's this beautiful study hall on campus, and every, you know, all the kids are in there. They got their books open. And I swear to God, every single kid was looking at their phone. Oh. I, I was going to take a picture, but I thought, <laughs> you know, you don't invade their privacy. That would be so yeah, awkward. Yeah, then you'd have to blur out their faces. It really speaks to the generation, right? No, it really does. And, and too, like, I, I see my son pulling his out all the time. And my first reaction is, oh. But then, then I find out what he's doing is watching um, – you know, watching this science demonstration of how many how many planets you can put between the moon and the Earth from our solar system, and how many how much space would between be would be between each planet, and I'm like, okay, that's not so bad. I thought at least you're not Kardashianing it right now, um, but I, I think you're right too. There's a point where we need to learn to just single task, monotask. That's powerful. 
Well, Tim, thank you. Appreciate uh, your great insight. Tim Caulfield, again, go check out his books, uh, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? When Celebrity Culture and Science Clash, and also uh, another book, The Cure for Everything, Untangling the Twisted Messages About Health, Fitness, and Happiness. Timothy Caulfield's his name. Uh, Great, great resource up there um, at the University of Alberta, Canada. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this uh, second hour of The Matt Townsend Show. Remember, we're doing what we can on the show to give you the information, the tools you need to live longer, healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the program. You know, uh, we were talking about... um, the Internet and all of the things that we can now know about life and and just living a better life, right? But uh, there's also things you might be learning like, okay, here's a better way to have a funeral, for example. A Pennsylvania man loved motorcycles. He recently died, and he's taking one last ride, according to family members. They say 89-year-old uh, Steel City, City resident Arthur Werner made plans way ahead of his death from cancer Sunday to be buried in the sidecar of his 1990 Harley-Davidson Heritage Softail. He found a funeral home run by motorcycle enthusiasts who were more than able to comply. Uh, Heinzelman Funeral Home has three motorcycle hearses in its fleet, and David uh, Heinzelman says the funeral home doesn't even have to modify the sidecar to make it happen. Werner will be in the sidecar for Thursday's viewing and will be buried in it Friday. He thought the Harley uh, with his retirement, or he paid, bought the Harley with his retirement bonus, and now he gets to be buried in it. Well, good for him. How cool is that? Yeah. So if I want to be buried in my Volkswagen bug that I had in high school, I guess we can do that. You just got to, you know, dig a big hole. You want to be buried? What? Are, what's one of those self-driving cars? What are those called again? Elect, or Tesla. Tesla. You want to be buried in a Tesla. Tesla? Oh, wouldn't that be? We great? We might have to steal you one first. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can't afford one. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. You know, you were just born, you didn't even have a handbook for how you should lead your life. So this program brings you the latest, greatest research on life and then uh, gives you the tools you need to live a healthier one. Plus, we also give you some stories of how other humans are living their lives so that you can learn by uh, success and failure of others. That way you don't need to make every mistake. Thank heavens for that today. No exception, by the way, we will be speaking with Uh, Our bomb mom, we call her, Julie Nelson, will be joining us, and she is going to be reviewing um, a discussion that – or an article and a speech that was given by John Roberts, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts. And it's it's actually made a lot of people wonder, hmm, that seems strange uh, that you would wish people at a graduation bad luck, Hmm. which is what he did. 
But uh, his theory behind it is you're going to have to learn some way. So you tend to learn through difficult times in life. So I wish you difficult times. <laughs> anyway, it, it you know, created a little stir. And Julie will be joining us to talk about, you know, what, what we can do with uh, learning and, and how we can maybe make it and maneuver through some of these difficult times. That's going to be a really interesting interview. It's totally true. You, you can make it through. You can survive bad times. I had a, a beautiful teenage boy in my office the other day, incredibly talented soccer player, but he has a, he had a major head injury. And mm. he's not – but he was like – he's a talented soccer player, like could have gone college, still can actually. And uh, – but it has knocked his self-esteem right out. And then he's slowly been working on getting it back and he's becoming I think even stronger and just made a really big team and like a national kind of team. So it's pretty cool. Trials. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And sometimes you just... Who sings that song? I don't know. Bet what Midler. doesn't kill you makes us stronger. <laughs> Keep going. Palakiko knows who that is. No? No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. Uh, Palakiko is just worried about Chick-fil-A Day. Today is the day where we have Cow Appreciation Day. So everybody goes to Chick-fil-A, and I guess if you put some black spots on you, you can pretend you can dress up like a cow. Uh, anything you can do to make yourself look like a cow, um, and then you get some free chicken. I'm guessing the Chick-fil-A here on campus is not going to participate in that. Because oh, their, line, their no. line is already big enough. I know. See, that's the deal because that they know that many people like with self-esteem and self-respect wouldn't wait two, two hours in line like Kiko will. But others will. You might not have to wait as long for a Slurpee though. No. And again, 7-Eleven day, free Slurpees as well. So if you go wait in line at Chick-fil-A, then you get your chicken and then you can go to 7-Eleven and get your free Slurpee. It's a free day today, folks. This is summer at its best. Mmm, finger licking good. Nope, that's another one. <laughs> Anywho, we, uh, we'll get to all of that fun, um, plus some other headlines, some other news that's out there that, that uh, you didn't even know you needed to know, plus a hero story, plus we'll be visiting the Good Brethren from BYU Sports Nation to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We got a lot to get to. Uh, so let's get started with Terry South and the headlines. Terry, what's going on? A U.S. Army soldier stationed in Hawaii has been arrested on suspicion of attempting to prov- provide military documents and training to ISIS, the Army said in a statement Monday. Eric Kang, 34, allegedly uh, swore allegiance to ISIS. The FBI had been investigating him for over a year, they said in their statement, and the Army said in a statement, the agency believes that uh, Kang, uh, to believe that he acted alone. Oh, boy. Not that there's a bunch of these guys. He was out in Hawaii, so I'm not sure how how you're in Hawaii and you're offering the services to ISIS. How does that actually work? They're yeah. on the other side of the planet. Who knows? New Jersey Governor Chris Christie tried out Monday for a post-politics gig co-hosting a sports radio show. And it seemed his historic unpopularity followed him to the audition. Christie's term ends in January, and during the test run for his next job, he got a call from Mike in Mont- Montclair. Mm. Telling him to, well, I can't really tell you what he said. It's Boy, that's kind of pretty aggressive. Um, but Montclair did uh, reference Christie's weight and his family's beach vacations. So oh, you can boy. figure out how that went. Yeah. Um, Christie's response to Mike from Montclair is he goes, I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. So, 
Chris Christie wants to work on sports radio. We'll see if it works. Oh, I don't think so. But, but. sports radio? Yeah. Like, why not talk radio? It seems like he could go be a, the next Sean Hannity. I don't know. Okay. And he's on probably the most listened to uh, highest rated sports radio station in the nation. Maybe that's WFAN. where you start. So okay. We'll see what happens. Humanity will soon get its closest look at the monstrous cyclone whirling across Jupiter on Monday. Oh. NASA's Juno spacecraft will fly over the famed red giant red spot on the solar system's largest planet. The probe will pass about 5,600 miles above the storm's clouds and use its eight instruments to gather data like and take photos of the natural phenomenon, which has likely raged since the 1600s. Hmm. We get to see a close-up view of this thing. Cloudy red spot on a planet. I wonder if Pluto is going to ever make its way over to see that. Maybe. He's kind of wandering just, around. By the way, if you didn't hear it, last hour we interviewed Pluto. His lack of an orbit is one of the reasons why he was demoted, so I think he should take advantage of it and go on a trip. Okay, can I just suggest you don't say that to him? Well, it's one of the reasons. He gets mad when you bring up dwarf planet and lack of an orbit. Do you think he's purposely gaining weight to try to get back up to... He wants to beef up to planet size. Wow. Yeah. It's like he's training for the Olympics. Exactly. Of laziness. He's got that little small planet syndrome. Right. Napoleon had it, too. In other news, because of a rule change, if you registered to fly your drone but only fly your drone for fun, you can now remove your name from the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration's drone registration database and get your five bucks back. What? They changed the rules. Initially, they put out saying everyone that has a drone must register. Now they're saying, eh, if you just do it for fun, it's no big deal. You can get your money back. Hold it. Aren't it, it seems like it's the people that do it for fun that are going to be creating problems for people. Yeah. They're eh. looking at it like, if you're doing this as a professional, money-making endeavor, then you yeah. need to pay and register. But if you're doing it just to go out and play in your backyard or whatever, okay, you're fine. Uh-huh. And so what they're saying is um, it costs 5 bucks to register, which means the FAA may have collected over $4 million in registration fees. But not all that money is eligible for a refund since commercial operators still need to be registered. So, mm. um, And finally, to be added to the list of things that sound like a good idea, but definitely, I don't know. You you be the judge. Okay. Is this a good idea or not? So there's a in China. There's a company called Sharing E Umbrella, a Chinese company that modeled its umbrella sharing concept after the country's successful bike sharing programs. Is learning the hard way that uh, maybe not some the best people idea. don't return bikes for a deposit for about two dollars and eighty cents. The company allows customers to use their smartphones to check out an umbrella and pay less than a nickel for each half hour of use. But as anyone who has ever tried not to lose an umbrella might have, uh, you, you might have suspected from the start, the company lost almost all of its three hundred thousand umbrellas in just a week. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Additionally, there are problems <laughs> with the running a rain fueled business. Chief among them, what happens when it isn't raining? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Moreover, in regions with frequent rain, people are more likely just to buy their own umbrellas, which eats up their profits for a company based on people wanting to use an right, umbrella. Right. Sharing e-umbrella doesn't plan to give up just yet, though. They plan to release 30 million more umbrellas before the end of the year. No. Do you know what they need? It seems a obvious. A better business plan? They need yeah. that chain. So the post office learned this 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. You can leave a pen there or you can chain the pen to the like the stand where you fill out all your information, right? And you never lose pens when they're chained down. So they just need a really long chain attached to every umbrella. Maybe I don't know they could a hundred foot chain. They could just handcuff you to the umbrella. Oh yeah, and then you can't get the umbrella off until you 
hand it over. There you go. Well, I've been downtown before mm. and somehow ended up having a Salt Lake City umbrella that made it to my house. Wow. And then it was returned. Okay. We just drove through Salt Lake and threw it out the window. There's places around the country that have the crosswalks with the flags. Yeah. Those flags disappear all Those the time. Those flags are missing all the time. Really? Because usually you're taking it from one end of the street to the other end of the street. People just keep walking. There's well, like a little holder yeah. for the flag. But yep. have you, I mean, sometimes, as we've been talking about in the show, you don't remember. So you're like, you just think, you get all the way to work, and the next thing you know, you remember, oh, I've got the little crossing flag. They could install then it's embarrassing. They could install little uh, boxes outside of every single business, a deposit box, if you will. Yeah. Once you get to work, yeah. you but place the umbrella in the box. It's the shame thing. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like they have those little places where you can drop your a child off. If you can't take care of your children, you can drop them off at the fire station, no questions asked. They need a flag drop place where you drop them and there's no questions asked. You just – but – if if you go put it back and someone's like, whoa, have you been carrying that all day? And you're like, yeah. Think of the shame. Yeah. Think of the embarrassment. It's about the shame. Like you carried that flag all through your work day? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I think of embarrassment on a daily basis. Yeah. See? And you should. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You really should. No, really. <laughs> I, mean, I mean that sincerely. You absolutely should. Um, boy, so much to talk about. Did you hear about what the Vatican is? Uh, there's a little issue with the Vatican. Um, the wafers, right? The waf- the communion wafer yeah. that they use for communion, it must contain gluten. Yeah. It uh, must. Why? Gluten-free, but they're it's, saying no, it, gluten. It's, it's part of what is essential in the Holy Communion. Uh, it, it's, it, there's a certain way it needs to be prepared. And Does the gluten make it a bread-like product? Uh, product? I, I Is think that kind so. Of the, okay. So it's called the Eucharist, right? So uh, in June, uh, a directive circulated uh, from the Vatican radio, uh, the report said, the church reaffirmed policies regarding uh, the host or sacramental bread and wine used during the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. Quoting from a 2003 letter to bishops um, for the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, Cardinal Robert Sarah wrote, hosts that are completely gluten-free are invalid um, for the celebration of the Eucharist. Huh. So if you are – if you need it to be gluten-free, I, I guess you can't – you can't participate. But the other side is how much gluten are you getting in the bit of – Wafer yeah. that you're yeah. consuming, it's probably not that much. They little, say little well, hives. Yeah. Little hives is good for you. I mean, you're going to be talking about a little bad luck is good for you. They say low gluten hosts are valid, so you can use a low gluten version, but they must contain a sufficient amount of gluten to obtain the confection of bread without the addition of foreign materials and without the use of procedures that would alter the natural bread. Huh. So you don't want to have some other binding agent put into it like rice or yeah cauliflower that's a big deal actually because like in our sacrament you would see sometimes a gluten-free option yeah and rice well chips. not an option it's somebody who <laughs> needs that that is requesting that it's placed on the tray it's not like yeah. you're like hmm yeah. i think i'll take, I would the, take glu- the wheat option but they're, but they're but they're, they're making there's a there's, those rolled they're adapting sure. they're adapting <laughs> for everybody so anyway that's going to be that's going to be i'm sure a little bit of an issue for some people, right? Wow. 
What do you do? I mean, again, we grew up without knowing there was a gluten problem. Yes. You know, it's all of a sudden. What's the disease where you think you have diseases? Uh, like uh, cluster. No, Social uh, media? Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, psychosomatic. What's it called? Um, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's uh, psycho. No, it's something uh, else. Yeah. Hmm. I know what you mean. Psycho something. Yeah. So you, yeah, what do you, I don't know why you brought that up. Oh well, you just mentioned. Oh, we you know there was a day when, but that's a real we didn't issue. No, right? and now real. everybody needs well, gluten yeah, free. You got vast majority, disease. Vast and... majority of people are doing it because it's trendy. Yeah. We used to not have peanut allergies. Mm-hmm. Now every kid has one, or one has it, and you it ruins what? it for everybody. You know how you fix it? It's easy to fix. You exclude eat. the one. No, you oh, give wait. your baby Reese's pieces. <laughs> yeah, you eat peanuts at an early age. Yeah. That's all you gotta do. And then that gives you an excuse to have Reese's Pieces because you don't want them eating too many. Yeah, right. I mean, that's well. Somebody's got to bite them in half. Well, you got to test them, make sure that they're okay. Have a whole like a baby to have a whole Reese's Pieces. So right, one for a little half for me, and then a quarter for you. Then you just get them used to the peanuts. And don't give them the brown ones because those ones will make them sick. Then when they're a little bigger, you give them like a mound, like a almond joy. Yeah. You give them half the almond joy, and you eat half. Just slowly, then the Snickers, and then you ease in. Then eventually, the nut bar. It's just a bag of sugar at some point. Then they can handle nuts and gluten, but then they're obese. Yeah. Which so sure we took care of the nut allergy, but uh, we made everyone overweight. Ugh. Again, I don't know that I take our advice on that, but uh, go ahead, do do so at your own. At your own risk, of course. Uh, a fugitive was arrested at an Iron Maiden concert after Facebook post tips off. After a Facebook post tips off some cops, a kidnapping suspect was arrested at the Iron Maiden concert. Um, and check this out: the Facebook post led police right to the guy. Derek Roseland was wanted on aggravated kidnapping charge in Austin, Texas, and authorities were alerted to the Facebook post from Roseland's uh, friend which displayed tickets to a June 24th show at AT AT&T Center in San Antonio. Rosalind was arrested at the concert, according to a post on the sheriff's Facebook page, and also uh, they had circulated a selfie of Rosalind, so it became a very uh, simple arrest for them. He forced forced somebody to drive him to Jack in the Box after he had, uh, after, I guess, in the incident. According to the arrest affidavit, Rosalind... um, Force somebody, so the kidnapping was forcing somebody to drive him somewhere at gunpoint. It's hmm. kind of a problem. But they got him. So uh, if anybody ever badmouths Facebook, you know, or by the way, Iron Maiden. By the way, that's the only way I would go to a jack in the box is if somebody was forcing me to go. Really? That sounds rude. Well, I don't even think we really have him here, so no. it's not, a, not an issue. And we don't have to use the name jack in the box. We could just say. Sounds like black in the blocks. No, spelled J A K in the B O C K S. Box. Jack in the box. <laughs> we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue the journey. Joining us will be, uh, we're, we're going to be talking with Julie Nelson about, you know, wishing somebody bad luck. Is that a great graduation speech? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, 
Welcome back, friends. Uh, joining us in the studio is Julie K. Nelson. She's the bomb, uh, bomb mom, we call her, and uh, the child whisperer. She also is a professor at Utah Valley University and teaches applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills there. She is a featured writer in for many academic journals and uh, is on the show regularly. She also is the author of two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. Mm-hmm. Two very uh, important books, Spirituality <laughs> with Our Kids and Plunging, <laughs> Being a Plunger. Should those be in the same sentence? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird sentence. But yeah. you brought us a really interesting article. Supreme Court Justice uh, John Roberts mm-hmm. had a chance to speak at the commencement ceremony at Cardigan Mountain School in New Hampshire. Yeah, where his son was graduating from ninth grade. How cool. And he was, wouldn't that be cool to have him as your keynote speaker? Yeah, your dad gets to be the keynote. Well, he's also the Supreme Court Justice. I mean, it's kind of cool to see, like, you know, whenever I think of the Supreme Court Justices, there are these 12, these men and women who sit there with these dark robes, with these kind of uh, austere, kind of a little bit, you know. Stoic. Stoic, yeah. Formidable. Uh And, and, you know, you think of them as kind of like these, just these justices. That's all they are. Well, you take off the robes and they're people. And Chief Justice Roberts is a dad. He's a daddy. Who would have thought of it? Well, but the, what's weird they actually is have children. He may have actually, but some don't get what he was saying because in a weird kind of roundabout way, he wished the worst for yeah. these children. Yeah. And Which he, is weird. He basically, he's seen the he has seen so much justice from the bottom up. I mean, yeah. imagine he used oh. to be a clerk somewhere, mm-hmm. some, and he's seen the laws in the wheels turning, yeah. and he's seen people come through, and I'm sure repeat offenders. And what is the common denominator? They didn't learn from the hard knocks of life. Yeah. Maybe their parents protected them, and they t- kind of became you know uh, kids who thought they were entitled and they could do anything they want and not be accountable to the law. Right, right. You can see from the bottom up where he's learned a lot of wisdom, not just about how. How our laws should be legislated and how, you know, how to, you know, do some really big, big cases, take care of some big cases. But the smaller little acts that we do in life that make all the difference, whether or not we're going to become better human beings based yeah. on challenges that come our way and decisions, that decision processing. And I bet he could say he could he could thread back to those those <clears throat> cases that he's trying or he's he's hearing and go back to the beginning and say, if mm. you just done this, yeah. you know, if the parent had just taught you this and this back when you were eight years old, if we could have started back then, then we wouldn't be here today. He's also some of these kids are where they are because they had bad, bad, bad experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess we probably – maybe we can't – we can't expect them to know how to change it, mm-hmm. right? They were just raised in bad situations. Yeah. But he's suggesting too that it's really the bad situations that we have to overcome that make us – not the good situations. Yeah, it's on. I think parents' responsibility is to use these experiences not to protect our kids or make excuses or justify their behavior, um, go and rush to rescue them. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably seen a lot of helicopter parenting, especially in maybe slightly privileged groups like maybe his son yeah. was graduating from or other places. I don't know. But there we tend to want to run and shield and protect our kids. It's a natural instinct, and we should be doing that when they're babies. Right. But as they get older, and even before they go to school, we have the responsibility as a parent to not protect them from lessons of life so they don't get to where he's seen people uh, end up. And so I think that he has some really great hard hard kind of lessons to learn from hard situations that we must all 
um, take advantage of. Because mm. I think today with our ease of life that many of us don't use these opportunities to um, – uses them natural experiences to teach kids. Yeah, no, right. so, you know, we need to use natural consequences um, to teach our kids. And so he he shared these this wisdom, but you know, Time magazine and and a lot time dot com and lots of internet. It was it just blew up on the internet last week because the you know, they would pull out these lines. <laughs> these lines. And Time dot com, their line was their headline was, I wish you bad luck. Yeah. You know, that sounds a little harsh, you know. Yeah. We don't and we don't want to heap on bad luck on our kids. I mean no. we wouldn't do it intentionally. It's gonna happen anyway. But it's gonna you happen don't. anyway. And so he's saying, What do you do when you have bad luck? And so um I think we're gonna have a little bit of a soundbite of setting up Ch- Chief Justice Roberts um speech and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Now the commencement speakers will typically also wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that and I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. Mm. I mean, that is... You can see how certain people would love to play a conservative justice saying that because he sounds like Darth Vader. (laughs) But in reality, it's brilliant, right? It's brilliant. Um, I think about from time to time he says here when you have been treated unfairly that you'll know the value of justice when I have been treated unfairly. Now, if you – as he's saying later on in his message, if you look at that and say what can I learn from that when I was treated unfairly? Um, what can I do to give other people the benefit of the doubt mm. and treat them more fairly because of how I was treated? I don't know if our listeners, listeners out there can identify with times when you were treated unfairly and it really hurt and you were, you were maligned and it was not fair. And then you said, I will never do that for somebody else. Yeah. I will always extend mercy. I will, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and I will hear their side of the story before rushing to judgment. And it makes us better people coming from a place of deficits. You know, yeah. we have deficits that we, we realize that that was not the way it should have played out. I will not do that for somebody else. Mm. So he talks about, I love that, not, not, not to treating other people unfairly. And the next one was, um, I hope, you're, hope you will suffer betrayal because it will teach the importance of loyalty. Wow, I have had people who have betrayed me. Oh yeah. Small and big ways and I don't know if you felt the same way where someone maybe gossiped behind your mm-hmm. back, said things that were not true, they took sides. Um you know, those types of things where you were really hurt. I hope that those who listen to his words don't turn to the dark side, you know, yeah. like he was Darth Vader saying, now go and do this to everyone else and and seek, you know, revenge. But n- yeah. rather make that as a place of, of high where you take the high road. And I will never do that for someone else because I know how it feels. That's super cool. And if we can teach that to our kids when they have suffered betrayal, to use that as a lesson to teach them to say, now how will you treat others in the future? 
now knowing how that really, I mean, there is, you can talk till you turn blue as a parent mm-hmm. or as a teacher, but it's not until they feel that incredible pain on the inside through being betrayed or someone gossip about them or they weren't invited to a party, then you can say, you see how that feels? Now, will you ever do that to anyone else? But it's almost, it, it needs, doesn't it need to be, um, it seems like it would need to be taught. Because mm-hmm. I, I guess our assumption couldn't be that they're going to learn that just because they've suffered. They almost have to be educated that, okay, because your natural inclination when you feel lonely might be, you know, to lash out. But somebody needs to teach that child that, okay, when you're feeling lonely, you need to choose the alternative. Yeah, I think this really was... To the parents. Between the, read between the lines, a, a commencement speech to the parents. Yeah. I think this is saying, he's not telling them, lecturing, this is what you need to do. But he's talking to the kids saying, you're going to suffer these things. I hope you will learn this. And then, by the way, parents, I hope you're listening up in this audience. You are the ones that need to help them teach mm. this lesson. Because they could say, well, I'm never going to talk to that person again. Or I'm going to, you know, and they want to seek revenge because we that's a natural. But the parent will say, okay, you are feeling really angry right now. See that anger? Hmm. Let's turn it into compassion. So you will never treat someone like that ever again that they won't that, – so that somebody else won't feel that same. Do you want them to feel that way? Some, good... some innocent person. He says here, I hope you will uh, feel lonely sometimes so you don't take friends for granted. Wow. Have you ever felt lonely, Matt? Every day. <laughs> You're Every at the studio. Every day of my life. That's why you invite me in. <laughs> That's right. You, you know, do you not have an extra sense now if you felt lonely for the lonely? Hmm, totally. Empathy. Empathy. Mm-hmm. You seek out those who are sitting alone. Have you ever sat at a lunch in your school years, a lunch table by yourself? Yeah. Right? Totally. Okay. Did that moment teach you more about creating an extrasensory perception for others who are lonely? It's almost as something that we can't teach, but that experience gives us the sensitivity that we can now see the hidden pains of others. And I think it's brilliant that we have this ability to have our five senses that are very real and very tangible. But then we have this sixth sense of feeling the pains of other, if others if we have felt pain ourselves. And if we can, as parents, help hone our children into that gift, that extra sense, yeah. then we can seek out the lonely. Such great advice. He says also here, and it doesn't go on um, in this segment, but we'll maybe play it after the break about feeling uh, if you have bad luck again. Uh, bad luck from time to time. So you'll be conscious of the role of the chance of life. And understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failures of others is not completely deserved either. Oh, we need to hear that. Because everybody would think, well, yeah, all these people in the inner city, they just need to they just need to get to work, just yeah. go work. Mm-hmm. But their failures are not just totally theirs. Mm -hmm. Our successes are not totally ours. Yeah. And I I just love that point because we don't condemn others' misfortune. And it also plays into parenting because so many parents think that, well, I was a good parent. I tried everything I could. My kids just didn't – this one kid didn't turn out. Well, that was a misfortune. Right. But they had choices there that were completely independent from you. And that was just the role of life. That's just just bad luck or whatever you want to call it. It was that child's – agency to make those choices, but it does not mean that you were a bad parent. Right. And if your kid turns out great, people tell me, oh, your kids are so great, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, they turned out that way. Yeah. Nothing to do with us. On their own. They came that way. You can't take credit. They came that way. I helped nurture things along. Yeah. I I helped nurture things along, but really, when it comes down to it, I can't take credit for how great my kids turned out. Mm -hmm. I can't take credit for when they do stupid things either. You don't want, yeah. (laughs) 
You can't have it both. I only take credit for the good stuff. So true. Yeah, and then those who work hard lose their jobs. It's the roll of the dice. You know, if someone I knew a really hardworking man. He was unemployed for three years. He kept trying and trying and, and putting out his resume, and he was a good man. It was the roll of the dice. It just was totally. his misfortune, and I can't condemn him saying, well, there must be something wrong with him. Totally. You know, there, there's just some things that happen to people. People who are healthy, who live healthy lives, end up dying young because of some disease. It's just something they oh. can't control. And people who get rich, oftentimes they did work hard. Yes, there was that involved, but it also was they just happened to be at the right place at the right time, and it was oh. just luck. And they'll even – you'll talk to no. – you know, We've heard mo- it. moguls, and they'll say, you know, it is a lot to do. With well, life. and Bill Gates just happened to be at the one school in in the school in the area in the country where he could get enough coding time yeah. to be able to make something as amazing as yeah. Microsoft. And they and the good the good honest men and women will give credit to the, just luck, good dumb luck. And so when we do that, we don't take all it, uh, all the glory unto ourselves. And also, it. we also don't take all the misfortune that it was all my fault either. Okay. Such great advice. Okay, let's take all a break. Right, go ahead. We'll come back and continue the journey, the lesson, uh, really, from the Supreme Court's uh, highest-ranking uh, judge, um, John Roberts, and his take on sometimes the negative is what brings the positive. Stick with us more when we come back. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I wish you bad luck from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Mm. That is uh, U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts. He's the highest judge in the land. And that was his uh, his commencement um, uh, words that at the Cardigan Mountain School in New Hampshire, as his ninth grade son was graduating, his advice was, I wish you, you know, I, I basically wish you bad luck. Yeah. And a lot of the news are like, what? But the point is important, right? I wish you to have difficulties so that you can learn the good. We've, you know, we've had a generation before us that their life was hard. They yeah. went through some wars. They went through, some, you know, some, you know, major rationing while during those mm-hmm. wars. Depression. Depression. And, and life was just hard. Now we have, we're kind of riding some glory years mm-hmm. here. And we really have a life of ease generally. I know there's people who do, do have some, are, are still having lives of, of misfortune right now, even that, even now in our life of prosperity. But, but generally we, we, families are raising kids with a lot of ease and luxury. Yeah. And he's saying, you know what? It's not good to have ease and luxury all the time and protect and shield your kids from from what should be naturally occurring uh, difficulties in life that just used to happen, hmm. you know. And kids went and you know worked at ten years old collecting old bottle caps so they could go and you know redeem them so they could right. have dinner that night, you know, for their parents. And 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 we just don't we don't have kids that know how to work. Nope. We don't have kids that know how to try to try hard uh, throughout difficulties, and we're kind of depriving them of those lessons at life. And he's saying, I wish these things upon you because they're not happening. Happening as well, and our our parents are often shielding and protecting us from them. Well, and there will be a day that you know, fifty years from now, people will say, "You survived the Trump presidency. <laughs> You're amazing. You've learned so many things." But part of this is about 
parenting and and part of it is about I guess teaching your kids to be resilient and take on the challenges instead of avoiding them and a lot of parents make it so their child that the parent becomes the bumper mm-hmm. to the pain the child never has to experience anything yeah how do we as as parents uh, by the way again we're speaking with Julie Nelson from the website a spoonful of parenting.com uh, she's a professor at Utah Valley University and is the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. Um, to help us as a parent, how do I make sure my child is learning or at least has the opportunity to learn from these experiences? Well, one way is not to go and rescue your kid. Um, if they're having a problem with a teacher or with a friend or with a coach, then you can sit down and go through and kind of role play with them what they could say, or you could help them draft a letter or an email, or you can uh, drive them to that person's, you know, to the office or to their house, and then let them in and say, you know, have have this conversation. But they're the ones that should be having that conversation. The kids should be having it, not you. Right. You don't go in there and have it for them. You can help them. Or you can uh, yeah. script it with them. Mm-hmm. You can coach them, but I let them say, do it. You can sit by your side, yeah. but you're the one that's doing the talking. And there's been some really painful times where my kids have had to say things to people and work out some you know, misunderstandings or talk to a teacher about a grade. And it, they wanted to run and avoid it. But mm-hmm. I, I set it up to the point where they needed to get in there. And it was, it was hard, but they had to go and, and face those dragons. Yeah. And that's one thing. Another thing is that you, you don't make excuses for them. If they did something stupid, then they did something stupid. They got to clean up the mess. Right. You don't clean up the mess for them, um, and you don't, you know, pay the fine. Um, my daughter said, "I don't even know why," but out of the blue, she said, "Mom, if I ever were thrown in jail, would you come and bail me out?" And I said, "No." No way. She said, "You would. You don't. You don't love me." And I said, "That has nothing to do with it." Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like maybe after one night, we come in and talk about it. it. Depends on if you were innocent or not. If we yeah. knew you were innocent, yeah. if you were, if you were, it was absolutely the charges were wrong. But if you had done something stupid, I'd let you learn that lesson for at least a night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not going to come and rescue. And so there's a lot of these, you know, go and clean your kid's room for them. No, <laughs> wake them up in the morning. No, do their assignments. Do their assignment. Make their do their science project for them. No, they have an <laughs> alarm. They can set their alarm. They can they can answer to those those uh, consequences that come naturally and feel the pain of what it feels like to not. Um, you know, wake up to, just for school and get that thing done. Yeah. Or or if they're not invited to a party, I don't call to their mother and say, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know, How rude. How rude. You know, that's something that they have to work out with that kid. Plus, I guess you could also um, show them how you work through trials. Mm-hmm. And instead of hiding your pain as you work through it, Put it out there. Let your children see you go through it. Yeah, and talk to them about, again, we talked the first segment about if this does, and there's nothing more there is not a better lesson in life. Almost clap your hands with glee when these things happen because you're like, wow, now my child's really feeling what it feels like to be pain, to feel lonely, yeah. to to be left out, to suffer betrayal. Now those lessons, wow, they go deep into their hearts. And then you can say, now their heart is softened and you can say, wow, would this ever be something that you'd want anyone else to feel that is innocent yeah. like you? And help them to turn that uh, to be outward looking, to to get that extra sense, that third eye almost, where they can see that in others and reach out and help those who might also be feeling betrayal and loneliness. That's I mean, huge. It, you got to talk them through it, though. He said, um, uh, Justice Roberts says, when you lose, and you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. 
it will be a way for you to understand the importance of good sportsmanship. Mm. You know, you don't you hate yeah. the persons that they're just oh, like, yeah. oh. oh, and you lost the game, and then mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, in your face, your mother. Yeah, yeah. You, then you're like, yeah. Now next time when you win, you'll know how to handle it and dig with dignity, huge. and maybe reach down and pull that person up that fell on the team that lost, and have good sportsmanship. See, and, we grew up with the thrill of victory, the agony of mm-hmm. defeat, with mm-hmm. that you know NBC intro to the Olympics or whatever. Honestly, we need we need both. Yeah. And we need to know how to handle both failure and, and being losing and be the and be the one who wins with good sportsmanship. Um, he says, "I hope you'll be ignored. So you'll know how to listen to others." Mm. I've been ignored, and I really have worked through my life to really be there and be present because I hate it when other people look away and are on their device. Yeah, it really, really irritates you. me. I really try. I'm like, I know what it feels like, yeah. so I'm not going to do that for other people. I'm not going to be secondary when they really need my attention right now. Um, he says, "I hope you'll have enough pain to learn compassion." Um, And he says, this is the final thing. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. Hmm. So he's not saying – I mean, you know, he's kind of saying these these dichotomous phrases to show that there's opposition in life. And I'm not actually wishing it on you. I'm just saying that when these things happen, I wish you will turn it for good. And so he's saying these things are going to happen whether I wish or not. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message – in your misfortune. Oh, I love that. And many kids can't see the message, and so that's why parents need to step in and help them to say, what are you learning from this? What is the message with your misfortune? Mm. Because we need to start teaching them from even preschool years before they enter school that when they get into school, they're not going to be the first in line. They're not going to always get A's. They're not going to be the first to be picked on the team, and they're probably not going to get the first job they apply for. So he's giving us a little window into the hard knocks of life, especially for those who might be a little bit more privileged, to read between the lines, parents, tell us how to step back and let go and let these messages of learning sink deep into our kids' hearts so they can be better people. So true. Julie Nelson's her name. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. And uh, check out her book, Parenting with Spiritual Power, and keep it real and grab a plunger. Thanks, Julie. You're the best. Thank you for letting me come back. Great lessons from Chief uh, Supreme Court Justice as well. We will take a break, come back, visit the Supreme Buddies from BYU Sports Nation. You're going to want to stick with us, finding out what's coming up on their show in just a minute. We'll be back. Hey, that music can only mean one thing, folks. It's time to go visit our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation to find out what's coming up on their show today. It'll be Jerem, Jordan, and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. Well, hello. Well, I love you guys. What's going on? Hey, uh, talk to me about uh, the Home Run Derby. Did you guys watch that? I did. I was on a plane, so no. Really? But, but there's a BYU connection to the Home Run Derby. And Aaron Re- Judge. Re- what? He played Re- at BYU. You didn't know Aaron that? Judge. Played at BYU. I did Just not kidding. know that. Just kidding. I'm like, whoa. Okay. What? Good. I'm like, Dramatic squirrel. <laughs> He's the first rookie to win a home run derby since BYU's Wally Joyner split the 86 home run derby with your boy Daryl Strawberry. Holy cow. That's a that? that's a little uh that's a little BYU connection. There's always something. There's there is and he for a rookie, holy cow, he looks like he's twelve. Well, he's on pace to be the greatest player of all time. <laughs> really? Just, oh yeah, thirty. What does he have? Thirty homers. Thirty home. Thirty home runs <laughs> at the All Star break. It's insane, man. But yeah. he plays for the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, I wish oh, those guys boy. could catch a break. Yeah. I know, man. And the Celtics. Jeez, <laughs> it's been rough. Is, 
<laughs> what years. is the deal? Boy, how lucky. He just oh just the best player ever so far and also lands on the Yankees. He may he may be a uh game a, a game changer for baseball in that he's six seven, two eighty or something. Holy right? cow. Yeah. He should be a football player physically, right? Mm-hmm. In the yeah. United States, yes. that guy is a football player or a basketball player. Right. Not a baseball player. So maybe this helps the game of baseball in a way where it's like you can play baseball and be an effective player with different body types. Absolutely. He's because, also, it's the body of a yeah. lumberjack, really. It is the body of a lumberjack. And he knows how to jack the lumber, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Flannel for days. <laughs> Homers. The modern-day Paul Bunyan is he. He totally is. But, I mean, it's, it's a fun event, I think, to watch because who doesn't love a home run? Chicks dig the long ball, man. Is that true? I've never. They, so they that's said 98. What the, yes, that's what, uh, that's what the commercial said. <laughs> I believe everything on TV. Well, they yeah. juiced McGuire and. It was just Sosa. McGuire and the Cardinals are doing nothing. And okay. what, what, what if he's just. Okay, okay. Boy, that you, you hit a nerve there. Cardinal fan. Oh, we weren't. Uh, we did a player cheating. <laughs> <laughs> you just. didn't win the World Series or anything with that. So he, this guy's just clean, doing it without a corked bat, doing it without. We hope so. Yeah. He, I honestly don't care. You don't, don't. You don't. No. Like, in, in, in football, in the NFL, human growth hormone, HGH, a performance-enhancing drug, is probably pre- prevalent. Hmm. I don't care. It's still a game. It's, yeah. They still have to perform. It's cheating. No, the point is to get as big as possible and hit each other. Yeah. See. I, I don't really mind. That's kind of the purpose of this show is to get as big, big as, as you can as we can and then and hit, hit each other. Did you see the flex off yesterday? No, but I, I heard that the paramedics were called. <laughs> From all the girls that fainted? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yes. There was a flex off with three strong dudes. Jason. Yeah. Brian Logan. Yeah. Blaine Fowler. Who 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 outflexed everybody else? No no no! I think it was equal flexing. It was equal it was opportunity an equal flexing. Flexing opportunity. That's yeah. exactly right. Didn't remember did, FDIC. I thought somebody <laughs> pulled like a muscle or something. No. It, okay, we we tweeted out. We we tweeted out a clip from this. Yeah, and it's amazing. Okay, I'm gonna go check Three it out. Three strong dudes. They flex like off. Spencer and I are clearly not in the front or back of the tug of war. Here. <laughs> <laughs> You're 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 more like judges. You're cheerleaders. We're more like the commentators. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Uh, are you going to have another flex off today? No. What's no, on? we are not. But De- Jeremy is def- sporting his mustache. Definitely not. I do have a mustache. Ooh. It's a tradition unlike any other. It's not even Movember. That's right. I just got off vacay, so I had the full the full beard going. Don't tell HR. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell the soul. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, so, they don't listen to our my show. Well, not anymore. No. Uh, got got the mustache going. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about a man who had a mustache last year. Who? His name's Tanner Mangum. Mm. He rocked a mustache last season. It looked terrible. Mine's worse. Anyway, what are the expectations for one Tanner Mangum, the quarterback at Brigham Young University this year? How do scheme and personnel play into that? We will discuss. We'll also... Mm. Uh, we will not rank, but uh, there has been somebody by the name of Matt Brown who has ranked all the quarterbacks, top 35 quarterbacks in 2017, and we will tell you where... Tanner Mangum falls on that list. Ooh. Plus, yes. uh, Lauren Frankum sports cliches with students. Oh, cool. In between the lines. Yeah. And what BYU signee, someone who's coming to BYU to compete, is in L.A. at the ESPYs for a national award. How cool is that? Already? So, wow. But they're not even here yet, but they're already even, getting awards. He is not even at BYU, yet 
he is one of six candidates for a national player of the year out of high school. Holy cow, this is sport. exciting. I'm not an SB's guy, but the fact that Peyton Manning is hosting, I'm a big Peyton Manning fan now that he's no longer affiliated with the Broncos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does because his stuff on SNL was hilarious. So if he has anything close to that, it's going to be funny. This is good times. Good times, boys. Just like your show in about four minutes is all you got. Four minutes. We're going to cut them loose to go get ready to – they got to get their flex on. And it's going to take a lot. Jerem's got to get a lot of work done in the next four minutes to be able to beat uh, Jason in the show of flex. The, the muscle flex. Can we call HR on the show right now? No. Or not HR, yeah, but... Do you have an uh, HR question? The, uh, oh, not HR, but the um, the office, the honor code office. Oh, no. Let's call them over there. No, let's not do that. Why not? Well, because what if what if they ask other questions? Like, what if they get into honor code on the sh- our show or something? You're right. We better not. That's what I'm saying. Hey, uh, I know you're a big fan, Jeffrey, of the bouncy castle... Oh, boy, am I. <laughs> well, a bouncy castle boss used firebombing campaign to get a jump on their rivals, according to a court. Hmm. Who would think that bouncy castles would be this intent on gaining uh, traction in the marketplace? So it sounds like his plan deflated. Mm-hmm. Just totally deflated. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, getting the jump on the rival party, uh, businesses, uh, you, you got to get ahead in the game. You got to be thinking about what your competition's doing. And in a case of Awesome Party in Melbourne, Australia, police allege the owner, James Balcom's burning ambition to be number one, led him to pay an employee to go on a two month spree torching rival party businesses. What? Between December 19th last year and February 17th, five rivals were hit by a combined 10 fires, most started by Molotov cocktails. The alleged spree peaked with one blaze, causing $1 million worth of damage. Are you kidding me? Is the competition that great that we have to burn down our competitors? Police allege Mr. Balcom offered $2,000 for each target. And uh, police allege Mr. Balcom ordered his business to be, uh, be torched in a bid to divert suspicion. So then you could also get insurance or whatever. Holy cow. This is crazy. Uh, He showed Anderson around his property where his party hire equipment was stored and left out petrol containers, police allege. He set it up so it would burn faster. Police estimate the total damage bill from the alleged arson spree was more than $2 million. Not to mention the fact that he picked up more parties, right? Because everyone else is... uh, there, there's were all they had melted all of their bouncy it's castles. Going to be partying in jail now. Totally. Let's see how the bouncy castles work in there. Hey, strangers form a human chain to save distressed swimmers. This is our hero story of the day. Eight people may owe their lives to dozens of complete strangers who lent them a hand. Quite literally, this weekend, the swimmers were saved from possible drowning Saturday afternoon with the bystanders forming a human chain to pull them out of rip currents. It seemed very okay. Uh, Where me and my wife went out to, but uh, a little ways out, uh, was two kids on a boogie board helping or screaming for help, and nobody was around. Um, That was Brittany Monroe. Monroe and uh, her wife, Tabitha, were visiting the beach from LaGrange, Georgia. She was one of the two swimmers who were transported to Bay Medical Sacred Heart for breathing difficulties. The couple tried to swim over to the kids to help, but the more we would try to swim to them, the further they went out, and then we went into panic mode. Anyway, eventually a chain of people from the beach... 
reaching all the way out to these people, a human chain, everyone holding on to each other, got together and they grabbed arm by arm and got out there to those kids. They got the kids back in by pulling them down the chain. And uh, Monroe said, I felt like God heard our prayers and gave everybody strength to do it. Several people who shared photos on Facebook questioned why Panama City Beach police officers didn't go into the water to help. But uh, in the end, it may not matter because the heroes were really just all of the people that made a chain. And isn't that a cool symbol for us as fellow citizens on this big ball of mud we call Earth? We got to link together. We got to work together if we want to help uh, those that are in need. It's not just a one-person game. To be a hero, sometimes it takes a lot of us. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern, uh, helping you see the good and be the good in the world. Until then, BYU Sports Nation is up next. Stick with us. 